0: Our good friend, man of God, to come and minister to us, Pastor Jimmy Tony. Come on, my friend. Do what the Lord has put into your heart. Amen.
1: Everybody say praise the Lord. You can be seated. Yeah, there you go. It is so good to be here with, with everybody. I truly I love the spirit that I feel in New Jersey. I love the leadership. Last night, great spirit in the house of the Lord. I give honor to Pastor Williams for allowing that to to be. You know, when you walk into a church, we're all Holy Ghost filled and we can make anything good. But it's nice to walk into a church that's already good. And then we just, the Lord makes it better. So I appreciate him opening up to us. I want you to open your Bibles to the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 34. I'm going to talk for just a few minutes, just kind of from my heart. And uh, I've got the schedule here in front of me, so we'll, uh, we'll honor that schedule. But at any time, now this isn't church today, okay? So this is just us talking. And So at any time you want to raise your hand and ask a question... You're not going to bother me. That's not going to be disrespectful. In Ezekiel chapter 34, and I just want to show you this, verse 29. First of all, if you're pastoring a church that's five years old or less, would you stand? Okay. um uh, are you st- you're sitting? <laughs> there you go. I got you. Figured that out. Okay. Um, are, are are okay? You can be seated. Are the rest of you pastors, or are you part of these churches, or are you part of here? Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, are there any pastors that are not church planners that are here right now? Okay. Perfect. So we're just we've got church planners and then we've got leaders out of those churches. Look at Ezekiel chapter thirty-four, verse twenty-nine. Sixteen years. Okay, yeah, okay. Okay, so you started your church. Awesome. Okay, very good. Awesome. Yeah, you were telling me that last night. I remember that now. I want to, you know, as a church planner, we're going to be discouraged enough. So I'm constantly looking for encouragement. Because I'm going to be incur- I'm going to be discouraged easily because it's church planning. So I'm constantly looking for a word of encouragement. I, I stumbled across this just this past week. Verse number twenty nine says, And I will raise up for them a plant. Of renown, and they shall be no more consumed with hunger in the land, neither bear the shame of the heathen any more. Thus shall they know that I, the Lord their God, am with them, and that they are my people. Now, notice this He says, I'm going to raise up a plant of renown, and when that happens, He said, There's going to be no more hunger. There's going to be no more shame. And you're going to know that I, the Lord, am with thee. And so that word plant jumped out at me because that's what I am. I am a church plant. You are a church plant. But you're not going to remain a plant. You're going to become a plant of renown. Renown means fame, glory. In this case, it literally means the name of God. So when you build a church that proclaims the name of God, then wherever your church is being planted, there's going to be no more hunger. People are going to be able to escape their shame. And you're going to know that God's in the midst of thee. We were talking, Brother White? we're talking, coming over here. The reason why we don't see God move miraculously like we read about in some of these scriptures and like we've heard about in some stories is because we're not planting enough churches. When we plant churches, there are miracles all around us. Sometimes it's just a miracle to pay the bill. Amen? I mean, how many of you have ever had to pray, God, I need need a little help by the end of the week. And then, here comes a raven. Here comes this manna that you did not expect to come. When you involve yourself in a church plant, you are involving yourself in the miraculous, and you will see the miraculous. And so I just wanted to take that little verse, and that's not really what I want to teach on today, but I just want to throw that out there to tell you that don't, don't let the devil tell you it's just a church plant. You tell the devil, "No, this is a plant of renown. This is something big. How many ever seen a big church? Do you know that that big church started someday, somewhere, probably in a building similar to this? But this is a, hey, for a church plant, this is a very nice building. I, I have this love toward ugly buildings. And I, all, I feel like if I can get the ugliest building in town and people will come, then they'll come anywhere. So I just let my ugly building be my buffer zone for a while. But this is very, very nice. But every church that runs a 1,000 started just like this. So don't let the devil tell you you're just a church plant. And i tell you another word I hate, small. You're just a small church. I hate that. No, we're not. We're a growing church. Amen. We have forbidden the word small at our church. This is not a small church. It's a growing church. Okay, look at it. Now, just flip over a page or two and look at Ezekiel chapter 37. And look at verse number 10. I woke up this morning, I couldn't shake away from this, so I'm just going to share this for a few minutes. Verse 10 says, I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath came into them, and they lived and stood up on their feet, an exceeding great army. Now, every one of us as church planners, verse 10 is the goal. We want an exceeding great church. We want God to do something great in our life. But the reality is, there are nine verses before verse 10. You know, we live in a very... I'm just going to talk for a few minutes about the beginning of something great. We we live in a very now generation, microwave mentality, instant satisfaction, got to have it now. I was in Mississippi yesterday, got on a plane, ended up in New Jersey in just a matter of a few hours. Now. I'm going to get on a plane here in a little bit and I'm going to be back home and sleep in my bed tonight and preach in my church tomorrow. That wouldn't have happened a hundred years ago. Waiting doesn't seem to be an option with us. If you're going to pray for anything as a church planner and as being part of a church plant, you need to pray for patience. God, just let me learn to wait. Got to have it now. You know, email, and I think email's dying. I don't think it's going to be around forever, but e- email was better than regular mail because it was faster. You know, and then text messages came out. Well, we had text messages years ago. It was called
2: notes.
1: (laughs) And then now you've got like Facebook and Twitter, which are instant forms of communication, updates. You can know what anybody's doing at any time of the day. Facebook is more than just updates. Facebook is like this continual place for drama gossip too much information how many knows we put too much stuff online the Bible says what's done in secret will be shouted from the housetop housetop in the Greek comes from a Greek word Facebookio Uh, (laughs) we live in a now generation got to have it now People overextend themselves in credit because they, they want it now. Young couples get married and they look at mom and dad's been married thirty years and they think within one year I ought to have the same house and the same cars and the same gadgets and the same toys as mom and dad because they've got it, I want it. But what what you don't know is we didn't have it when we got married. How many remembers when you got married you didn't have two nickels to rub together, probably? And because of this instantaneous need for satisfaction and immediate gratification, we'll we look at a church or we'll look at somebody that's great or we'll look at a church that's great and we'll think, tomorrow I'm going to be just like that. It doesn't work that way. You can't look at a man's ministry or even a church he pastors and and then want Him to lay hands on you and pray His anointing on you, whatever that means, like the anointing is barbecue sauce that you're selling and you can just pick it up at the supermarket. <laughs> Sometimes the only way to get what other people has got is to go through what other people have gone through. Job 8 and 7 says, Though thy beginning was small, yet thy latter end should greatly increase. I'm talking about the beginning Of something great. You're in a church plant. You're in the beginning of something great. You say, yeah, but verse 10, all I see is this exceeding great army. It didn't start out like that. You you can look, look look at our country. Our country didn't start out the way it is today. Look at the nation of Israel. It started out with one man named Abraham and a woman who couldn't have a baby. But God said, There's a nation in you. I'm an old man and she can't have a child, and there's a nation in me. God looks at you and said, There's a church in you, a church in me. Can you hardly pay the light bill this month? There's a church in you. It's the beginning of something great. We have aborted. What God has wanted to do over and over and over again because we could not see what God could see. Or because we were just looking at the end result of someone else's life missing out and not, not having the revelation that we've got to start there. So my point is this. It doesn't matter how something starts out. It can have humble beginnings. It can have simplistic roots. It can come from the wrong side of town. But if God wants to bless it, there's not a devil in hell that can stop God from doing what He is destined to do. Amen? So, Ezekiel 37 and 10 is the goal. That's where we want to be. We want an exceeding great army. We want an exceeding great church. But there are nine verses before that. And sometimes your breakthrough is contingent only on your ability to go through. Church planners, sometimes God doesn't give us a breakthrough. But He gives us a hard head to go through. Now, everybody say endure. Endure. Survival precedes revival. The reason why some don't have revival is because they can't ever tap into survival. Sometimes you have to just go through. You have to survive some things. You have to endure some things. So let's do this real quick. Let's look at the Bible. And, and what I'm going to do is I'm just going to throw out about 10 minutes worth of... Nuggets here. But we're going to start at verse 1. Because verse 10 is the goal. But it didn't start with an exceeding great army. started in verse 1. The hand of the Lord was upon me. Every preacher, every church leader, everybody that wants to see a church established, we've got to take those first few words and apply them to our life. We've got to have the hand of the Lord upon us. You cannot have an exceeding great church without God's hand upon your life. And you can can spot people who's got the hand of the Lord on their life. They have had every reason to quit and they keep going. We can call that self-motivation. We can call that self-will. You can call that whatever you want. I call that the hand of the Lord. We will never be an exceeding great church without the hand of the Lord on our lives. Now look, verse 1, the hand of the Lord was upon me, and he carried me. The purpose for the hand is to not bless us with some superficial, shallow blessing. The hand of the Lord is not to make us think we're better than anyone else. The purpose of the hand is to carry us. How many of you have ever gone through something, and you look back, and you had to admit, had it not been for the hand of the Lord... Had it not been for the grace and the mercy of the Lord, we would have been swallowed up. He carried me, no, he carried me in the Spirit of the Lord. And this next phrase is very important and set me down. Everybody say, Set me down. down. And set me down. Did not drop you, did not accidentally put you in a place. He set you down. The word set there teaches me that it was intentional, that it was on purpose, that God did not accidentally drop you. Let me just say this you are where you are on purpose. You are not, even if it's in a valley, God set you there. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, that Jesus was led up of the Spirit into the wilderness. Why is it every time we go into a valley or we go into a wilderness, we always blame the devil? I can't believe I'm in this valley. I can't believe I don't know where God's at. The devil's put me in this valley. I can't believe I'm in the wilderness. The devil's put me in the The devil didn't have nothing to do with Ezekiel being in that valley, and the devil didn't have anything to do with Jesus being in the wilderness. God set those things up. Let's quit blaming the devil for what God's trying to do so he can get the glory out of our lives. Now look at verse 2. And caused me to pass round about them. Behold, there were very many in the open valley, and, lo, they were very dry. He put me in the midst of a valley, verse 1, full of bones. There were very many of them. They were very dry. I'm talking about verse 10 as the goal. How do I get an exceeding great army? Well, let's talk about how that happens. First of all, you've got to let the hand of the Lord be upon your life. You've got to allow the Spirit of the Lord to direct you. You can't be afraid of the valley. And now you've got to be comfortable around brokenness. The more brokenness now, the greater the army later. The more issues in your church now, the greater the miracles you will experience. The more problems on your pews now, the greater the opportunity for God to do a miracle. The more empty vessels in your church tomorrow, the greater the opportunity for the oil to flow. See, we look at all these established churches and we think, I can't wait to get there. Don't be ashamed of your valley of dry bones. Don't be ashamed of your storefront of broken people. Don't be intimidated that it seems like everybody that comes through your door are disconnected, broken, dry. They're the beginning of something great. We do a lot of preaching about David's mighty men. I want to be a mighty man. Okay, let's look at the beginning of David's mighty men. You know where they were? Piled up in a cave. Scared to death. And the Bible says they were in debt. They were discontented. They were discouraged. But God said, What looks like a bunch of cowards in a cave are mighty men that will lay down their life for the king one day. You cannot just look at the end result and go, that's where I want to be, without also saying, I've got to go through verse 1. See, some of you right now, you're not even a church planner yet, but you're in verse 1. The hand of the Lord is just setting up on your life. That's how it happens. Some of you are in a valley right now, and you're like, why am I in this valley? Because we're trying to get to verse 10. Some of you are surrounded by brokenness. That's verse 2. But once we get to verse 2, we're closer to verse 10 than we were in verse 1. Isn't this deep? The more dysfunction you have on your pews tomorrow, the greater the chance for the for a demonstration of the Holy Ghost. The more sickness now, the greater the greater the healing. Just because you're in a valley, just because you feel disconnected, just because things are dry, doesn't mean that God doesn't have you exactly where He wants you, and it doesn't mean that there's not a great church in your future. Just because you're in verse 2 doesn't disqualify you from verse 10. That's what qualifies you to get to verse 10. Gotta have it now. Gotta have it now. Gotta have it now. You can't have it now. You gotta go through verse 1. Is that making sense? It may look like a small church now. It may be filled with all kinds of broken people now. But give God some time. Give God some time. All right, now look at verse 3. And he said unto me, Son of man, can these bones live? (laughs) And I love his response. What are the first three words that he says? You're saying, "Oh Lord God, this is how I read it." Oh Lord God. Oh Lord God. Oh Lord. Oh Lord God. Lord, I don't know. Now we can we can act spiritual all we want. I have walked to the pulpit before and I have preached revival to a handful of folks. But in my mind, I was thinking, oh, Lord God. Oh, Lord God. The rent's due. Oh, Lord God. Another bill came in. Oh, Lord God. Anyone ever had an oh, Lord God moment? You know what preachers do when they want to sound smart? They tell you, well, I've looked that up in the Hebrew, and it comes from the Hebrew word hakasha, hakasha, and what that means. We do all that stuff because we want people to think we're smart. We didn't look nothing up. We clicked on it on the computer, and it told us we don't know Hebrew, <laughs> we don't know English. I mean, you can listen to me preach and say, that boy does not know English, so you know good and well, I don't know Hebrew and I don't know Greek. But just to help me sound smart, I looked up, O Lord God, in the Hebrew, and you know what it means? O Lord God. (laughs) If the O Lord God moments make you run away, you were not called to be a church planner. We church planners, I probably said some of this last year, but we church planners are crazy people. While others run from, oh Lord God moments, we embrace, oh Lord God moments. Because now I don't know how it's going to happen. Did I tell y'all last year about God giving me that money that I needed? Yeah, in the, the median. I prayed one day for, I'll I'll tell him, he wasn't here. I prayed one day, I needed to pay my car note by the end of the week. An hour and a half later, I was riding down the road, in the middle of the road, I was with the guy, and I told him, I "I think I see a $100 bill. I stopped in the middle of the road, put my flashers on, jump out, there was a $100 bill. I picked it up, went to walk back to the car, and there was another $100 bill. And a third one hundred dollar bill, and a fourth, and a fifth, and a sixth, and a seventh, and an eighth, and a fifty, and four twenties, nine hundred and thirty dollars. What went from an oh Lord God moment turned into a oh Lord God moment? I feel like I'm I'm talking to some Ezekiel's. You've been led to where you are. You're surrounded by brokenness, and God's asking. You think you can have revival here? Lord, You know. That's, that's code for, I don't think so. Lord, you know I hope so. I hope so. Now, I believe that Ezekiel 37 is really a prophetic passage of Scripture about the Holocaust. I believe God showed Ezekiel World War II. I believe that God showed Ezekiel all the graveyards and all the mass graves and all the Jews that were being slaughtered. And, and all that Ezekiel saw was just boneyard after boneyard after boneyard. And it was right after World War II that the, the nation of Israel became a nation. And they stood on their feet, an exceeding great army. So while I believe it's really referring to that, but I do believe there are some spiritual applications as well and here we are trying to get to verse 10, an exceeding great army. But we've got to understand all this other stuff is part of it. Now, now let's get to verse 4. He said unto me, prophesy upon these bones, and say unto them, O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. You cannot have an exceeding great church without a preacher preaching. Now I'm going to tell you something. Anybody can pe- preach general conference. Anybody can preach because of the times. Anybody can preach these big meetings. Because there's energy there, there's excitement there. You can say something so shallow, and there's going to be somebody in the audience, wow.
2: <laughs>
1: oh, my. Twitter that. <laughs> Hashtag wow. You didn't say nothing. You just worked some Pentecostal cliches in. A new devil for a new level. Oh my God. (laughs) Anybody can preach those events. But not everybody can preach in a home mission service. That would drive people crazy. Some people have got to have a hand clap behind every point. And here he is. He does not have a fancy building. He's in a valley. He doesn't have a nice choir. He doesn't have good saints. They're all disconnected, broken, dry. And he said, now preach to him. Actually, do more than preach. Prophesy. Tell them what they can be. Tell them what they will be. Oh, Lord God. Oh, Lord God. And this is, what I, this is what I love about Ezekiel, and this is what I love about church planners. He didn't wait until they were standing on their feet to preach. He preached. He preached while they were dead. He preached when there was no movement. He preached when there was no life. You can't wait till you get 150 in church and say, all right, now I'm going to preach my good sermon. You gotta preach your good sermon this Sunday. And if you got your good one ready and only five people show up, don't 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 can the good one. Preach that good one right then. And then give it six months, because those five are probably going to leave and somebody else is going to come in and preach that thing again. Don't you dare walk to that pulpit and go, It's just a brokenness, it's just this, it's just this issue, it's just that issue. I can't preach here, then you're not a church planner. Church planners can look at deadness and go, There's gonna be life here. There's gonna be a church here. Now, did this building look like this when you bought it? Was it was it messed up? But you walked in and thought, There'll be a church here. I know I know how church planners think. Walk in a building. And you immediately you think, all right, I got, the, uh, I got the platform there. i put the drums over there. That would be a good place for a piano. And I tell you what we'll do, we'll throw a little sound booth in there. That looks good, and we'll put this. I see chairs in here, and we're going to build a swimming pool over there and, uh, so the kids can play during church. And I tell, we'll do this, we've got this. And what everybody else looked at and said, man, that, that's a dilapidated old building. <laughs> Ezekiel begins to prophesy. I'm going to tell you something. I'm not trying to be silly or cute here. I'm trying to be as transparent as I can. When you came in here and started swinging or slinging paint, and laying carpet, and moving walls, you know what you were doing? You were prophesying. When you got these chairs in here, you're prophesying. Every empty chair is a prophecy that somebody's going to sit on that. If you don't get anything out of this, you go home tomorrow and prophesy. Don't you look at and don't you focus on all the dysfunction and the disconnect. You just start painting. You start seeing things. That person sitting right there, they're going to help me teach Sunday school one day. That old girl there can sing. I've got, got to get her sober first, but she can sing. i <laughs> got to see, prophesy. Prophesy. And you can't wait until it's good. This is good as it gets. Because this is today. So we're going to prophesy. Prophesy now. Preach now. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to preach to the valley. And don't be afraid to preach to the brokenness. And don't be afraid to prophesy. And say, you will be healed. You will be delivered. You will be set free. You're not, you're, not, you're not putting God out on a limb at all. If they want it, God will do it. Amen? And, and listen, He said... Where are we at here? Oh, okay, verse 4. Let's go back there. Oh, ye dry bones. He didn't even deny who they were. He preached truth to them. You're dry. Now, nobody can preach like the pastor of a, of a local church. The greatest preaching you'll ever hear is not somebody at a conference. The greatest preaching you'll ever hear is your pastor preaching to you. And Because a pastor can call you dry and you love it. If I call you dry, you get mad at me. Because I'm not your pastor. And I'll just kind of throw this in for just a little preaching seminar. If. If you come preach for me, I don't want you to come and be mean to my church or pick nitpick every little thing that you see wrong in my church. I want you to come and glorify God. I'll pastor the church. Now I'm telling you, as, as young preachers, I, I, a guy that used to help me, bless his heart, every time he preached, he wanted to be the one that fixed that problem. And in trying to fix that problem, He created three more problems for me to fix later in the week. If the pastor and God can't fix that problem, you're probably not going to fix that problem either. So you let the pastor preach to the dry bones. You just preach revival. Okay, I don't know why I got on that, but it is what it is. So uh, hopefully that's that's okay. Now, verse number 5. Now, this is what he's preaching. I'm going to cause breath to enter into you. You're going to live. <laughs> we're going to bring flesh on you. We're going to cover you with skin. We're going to put breath in you, and you're going to live. God's going to do that. Now, you got to understand how silly this sounds. We're not talking about somebody that died five minutes ago that we're hoping to do some CPR on. We're not talking about somebody like Lazarus who's been dead a few days that still stinks. We're talking about something that has died, dissolved, and the only thing that's left are fragments, bones, pieces of what could have been. And he says, preach life to that. I hope some of you go home tomorrow and preach life. He's preaching about breath when there isn't even a body yet. You've got to preach a balcony into existence when there's not a balcony. Go nail a chair on the wall back there and just say, that's our balcony. Put a chair on the wall. You've got to preach things into existence. You've got to preach things into existence. We walk by faith and not by sight. Amen? Sometimes you've got to be willing to say, I know where we are. We're in verse 5, but we're almost to verse 10. We are almost at that exceeding great church. All right, let's hurry up here. And then look at verse number 7. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and there was a noise and a shaking, and bones came together, bone to bone. Now I want you to catch this. There was no bone to bone and there was no bones coming together until there was a shaking. And there was no shaking until there was noise. And there was no noise until somebody prophesied. Preaching and prophesying is going to create noise. Noise is going to create a shaking. Shaking is going to get bones to come together. And then when they start coming together, now they're going to find out their place. Bones going to go to bone. Because this bone can't fit this bone. It's hard to build a great church without learning how to make some noise. Amen? Brother White was... Was it Brother White? Who was asking me last night about worship? He may not be here today. Uh, He's talking about... Oh, yeah. No, it was the gentleman I rode with last night. What was his name? Brother Hendricks. Yeah, he was asking last night. He said, you know, we're... We're a new church. Our church is quiet. How do you how do you create that? And I told you all last time I was here about me doing the cue cards. And, you know, cue cards that said clap. And I would hold it up when I wanted people to clap. And that sounds silly, but it works. But here's other little things that you can do while you're preaching. Just say stuff like, Boy, that would have been a good place for somebody to say amen right there. Man, y'all missed a good... i tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to say it again. And y'all just say amen right there. And do it with a smile on your face. Don't make them think you're chewing them out. Don't make them think they're dumb for not doing it. Just kind of tease with them a little bit. And While you're preaching, go, boy, Now, this, I've done, if I've done this once, I've done it a thousand times while I was preaching. I put the microphone down. to the microphone and I'll say the same point over and if nobody does it I'll put the microphone down I'll run back to the front row and there's got to be noise we are Pentecostals I don't know what your desire is but my desire is not to build another church like the Denominal Church in my town Okay, I don't want to go sit at their feet and learn how they do it because they're not even in the same business that we're in we're not here to attract a crowd. We're here to get broken bones and broken lives put back together. And so, just, you know, create that. Push that. Again, it, it's all it's time. It's process. But if you're at verse 1, don't try to get them making noise at verse 2. We're not there yet. But once we get to verse 7, now let's make some noise. The last thing we need is a quiet church. Amen? Did I skip six? Oh, I threw it in there real quick. Uh, I, I skipped it because I can't say that word sinews. So uh, so he said, we're going to take these bones. We're going to put skin on you. We're going to put tendons in you. We're going to put muscle on you. And there's no body yet. But he's preaching it. We're going to have a church here. One day we're going to have a youth group. Then one day we're going to have an assistant pastor. One day we're going to have full fledged Sunday school program. One day that's all he's doing there. That's all he's doing. We're, one day this thing's going to be operational. One day we're not going to be in this building. Don't fall in love with this building. We're going to love this building right now, but this isn't our final home. We're going to move on. There's other stuff here. And when you start hearing noise, and when people start responding to that, understand bones are coming together. I think I think the, some people will call that the momentum, the big mo. Verse 8. And when I beheld, lo, the sinews and the flesh came upon them. While he's preaching. When there's noise. Now how many of you remember when you started your church, you left church, and you felt like, man, that wasn't a Pentecostal service. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I mean, you're up there, you're, you're screaming, and they're like, why is he so angry today? You know, And so you you figure it out, and you go, okay. But then you leave that service, that first service that you remember, there was some noise. You felt the shaking a little bit. Now, did you not leave that place super encouraged? And and it's not where you wanted it to be, but it's not where it was. And all of a sudden, you come back next week, and that spirit is still there, and, and your cue cards aren't coming out near as much. And you're not running to the front row near as much. And you're not working in your little silly jokes near as much. But people are responding. When that starts happening, please know you're just a few verses away from a great church. And if that's not happening, don't go and quit and resign. Just understand you're at verse 2. You're at verse 3. But we're going to get there. And when there was noise, verse 8 says, all of a sudden skin began to cover them. Now this is where a lot of people stop and go, alright, we've got a good church. we got broken lives put together skins on them. we got people in the pew. But look at the very last phrase, but there was no breath in them. We don't want people to come to church and just get their little lives together and still be non-spirit filled. We want the breath of God to be in people. And so here we go again, verse 9. Prophesy to even to the wind. Say to the wind, Thus saith the Lord, Come from the four winds. Breathe upon these slain, that they may live. So when you get some people coming, and you've got a group of people coming, don't be afraid to get up there and begin to say to the wind, Blow on us today, God. Fall on us, Holy Ghost teach us. So verse 10, here we go, we're there. I prophesied as He commanded me and breath came into them and they lived. And I love this next part. And stood up on their feet. I didn't even have to ask them to stand. They just stood up because they're alive. When life enters into a church, watch how people start standing. They start worshiping. You don't have to I'm telling you, there's going to be a place in your church where you don't have to beg people to worship. Because when life enters in, people are going to stand. An exceeding great army. The beginning of something great. It's an exceeding great army in verse 10. But the beginning of that exceeding great army was just a valley. Brokenness. That's home missions. That's church planning. But that doesn't mean there's not a verse 10 in our future. And you that are here helping your pastor, helping them, you be a source of encouragement. You be the first one to shout amen. You be the first one to get that noise going. You be the first one to get that spirit moving in there. We're We're talking about planting a church. This is planting a church. This is allowing God's hand 16 years ago to set upon you and to lead you and to set you around brokenness. That's planting a church. And then not leaving when God says, hey, you think think these can live? Oh, Lord God. Oh, Lord God. Oh Lord God, and listen, there's going to be seasons. We just had a revival Easter Friday Saturday and Sunday. Oh my word, it was the most unbelievable revival our church has ever experienced. Within just those, the first night I think we had five get the Holy Ghost, and these ain't five people off the street. These are people we've been working with. So we were, whew. then the next night I think we had two more get the. I think the whole weekend we had like nine or ten get the Holy Ghost, and we baptized seven. It was unbelievable. I had just one family coming in. My God, it was awesome. Within two weeks, all hell broke loose. That one family totally quit coming to church. Won't answer my phone calls. Won't answer the door. Just will not come to church after God gloriously filled them with the Holy Ghost. The one family that we've been working with, Oh my word, you talk about it. We're still trying to patch them together. A lot of people would pack up and leave. Because, you know, all we do is we preach about revival. But sometimes the bones don't stick. But I'm going to still keep preaching. And so I gathered our team together. And I told them, don't you dare let discouragement get on you right now. We can't give anybody the Holy Ghost. Only God can do that. People have to make their own decisions. We now, if we've done something to run these people off, we can evaluate that. And we made sure we didn't do that. But at the end of the day, God, God gives and the Lord takes away. And you cannot beat your head against the wall and say, I am a failure, I'm a failure, I'm a failure. No, you just get back in that valley and you just keep prophesying and you just keep preaching. Because people will drive you crazy. Now let me read a few more verses and we'll, take, we'll, we'll switch gears. Verse 11. Then he said unto me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Aha. It's making sense now. And then I love this. Behold, what's those next two words? Who? They say. They say. Oh, there we go. That's up on the screen. I didn't even know that. They say our bones are dried. They say our hope is lost. They say we're cut off from our part. Listen to me, home missionary. There will always be a they say. There's going to always be somebody and they are going to say, "You can't build a church there." You know how many other preachers have tried to build a church here? You know, that's a burnover field. You know how many other people that's too hard of an area. They say they say. I love verse twelve, because you gotta have a little bit of smart aleck, can you? Verse twelve, therefore, because of what they are saying, prophesy and say unto them You look at every one of them doubters, and you say, Behold, God's gonna open up our graves. And He's going to cause you to come out of your graves and bring you into the land. And you're going to know that He's the Lord. When I open up your graves, and I'm going to put my spirit in you, verse 14, and you shall live, and I'm going to place you in your own land. Right now you're just a church plant, but you're going to have your own land one day. You're going to be a plant of renown one day. And there's going to be no more hunger, and there's going to be no more shame. And people are going to know that God is in the midst. If, if you're here and you're in the middle of the b- battle and you have tuned your ear into what they say, please, hit mute on what they say. And start hearing what God says. Because if you listen to what they say, you're going to bury your dream. You're going to bury your vision. But God says, I'm going to show up and I'm going to open up those graves. I think it would be good today if God reached down and opened up your vision again. And things that you've buried and pushed just because of what they have said. Talking about the beginning of something great. Brother White said last night, and I loved his presentation we have one church for what is it a hundred thousand people then we need forty four more churches something like that in this district they say we can't do that but all all that is is anywhere between twenty and forty men for God to put his hand on them Carry them, show them the valley, and say, begin to preach. Now, I'm not a good reader. I don't, I don't read, I don't enjoy reading. Uh, I know they say leaders are readers. I'm not a leader. <laughs> uh, I, have to, I have to really kind of discipline myself to read. I have to read kind of slow. Why are you saying that? Well, because some people can grab this and read those ten verses very fast. Some of us read them very slow. So yours might go a little slower, but as long as verse 3 follows verse 2, and verse 6 is before verse 7, you're on the same path that the other guy is that reads a little faster. See, we're not, we can't just jump to verse 10 and go look at my exceeding great church. We, we had a service the other day and, and we, uh, I was preaching a service in our district and there was district superintendent and secretary there. and they, had, they don't really they've never been able to visit my church yet. They've seen my building but not an actual service. And so while some people were leading worship, I just kept leaning over to the district secretary and I'd go see that person back there. Yeah, that was our very first convert. God saved her. I married her and her husband in their backyard. He's not in church yet, but she's now over our whole Sunday school program. Her kids have got the Holy Ghost, some of the best kids in the U. See that guy right there? Oh, that was one of the best converts in the world. Now, when they walked in, they were so new age, and they were believed in reincarnation. And They're some of the smartest people that I've ever taught. But see, Troy and Cassie looked at him they look like Pentecostal people that you never know where they come from. Now now look at that guy on the front row right there. He's only been coming for 2 weeks. God just filled him with the Holy Ghost. And I was pointing out all this because I was letting him know that it's it started out just brokenness. Don't don't despise the brokenness. Okay, I don't know why, I just feel this in my spirit to keep going back to that. Don't be ashamed of the people that God's given you to work with. (coughs) And you don't need to explain those people to anybody. In other words, if, if Brother Bernard comes and preaches for you, you don't need to try to explain to him. Now, Brother Bernard, the reason why they look like this is because, you know, they're new and they, you don't need to worry about that because anybody with sense will know it's a, broken, it's a valley full of broken bones. But you're preaching and you're prophesying. And anybody that don't have sense, they say. And we're not worried about they say. We preach to them too. Now, this is the house of God. It may look like a valley of broken bones right now, but this is an army. It may look like a storefront right now, but this is a great church. It may look like a bunch of drug addicts right now, but there's preachers that's going to help us start churches sitting here right now. They may look like a bunch of new age people right now. They may have all these issues, but that guy's going to be on our platform singing in a few months. When Troy walked into our church the first time, Had him a full-grown beard. Had a pistol. Kentucky is an open carry state. Walked in with a gun. I thought, if I've ever been motivated to preach good, today's the day. And uh, I I had one man come to me and say, Hey, you need to tell him that he doesn't need to bring that gun to church. And I just felt a little check in the Holy Ghost. Don't mess with him right now. Everything's fine. And so I told that man, no, we're not going to say nothing. I don't know anything about him. But there's something good in that guy. Started teaching Bible study. Pentecost Sunday. A year or so, two years ago now maybe. I wasn't even there. And we're going to talk about that in the next session about developing a team. Because it's not God's will for the pastor to feel like he has to do everything. And then to get and it's not God's will for the church to believe that the pastor has to do everything. If you do that, you're gonna always have a church of about sixty folks. I wasn't even there. And somebody else was preaching, and Troy got the Holy Ghost that day. Troy was singing on our platform last Sunday. I mean loving God. His wife's full of the Holy Ghost they got a beautiful baby girl that's going to only know Pentecostal lifestyle. Now she's pregnant with another kid. Church is growing. We're about to add two feet to the church. But it started just with some broken lives, broken theology, believed in reincarnation. Those broken bones are an exceeding great army that you just have to walk through the valley with. I hope that would encourage you today. Go home and preach and prophesy and talk to those dry bones. Okay we've got a few minutes. I know we're going to do some questions and answers at, at the very end too. Uh, is it okay if we even do some of that now? Because to me that's that if we can st- iron sharpens iron and so if we can communicate a little bit so church planting uh, we're going to talk in the next one about church growth and I'm going to specifically talk about trying to assemble a team to help you grow a church uh, but, but any particular questions on just church planting anything in that any comments or testimonies you want to share
0: last year you talked about um, setting out a certain amount of chairs or not setting out a certain amount of chairs okay. so I did it this past Thursday, I said, you know, I'm sitting out an extra row this Thursday. And everyone came in and looked around and was like, why this place looks so cluttered? But I set out some extra chairs, thought about Jimmy Tony, and God blessed us Thursday. And every chair that we set out extra pretty much was all filled. And so as you talk about prophesying, as you talk about, you know, seeing things before they even happen, And doing them, God will bless it. And so I just want to let you know that something from last year that you said, bless me this year.
1: Now, I may have said this last year, too. um, But to be fair, there's other times that I have taken chairs out. Because I just knew it was going to be a low Sunday. And somebody snuck in on me one time, and I was taking chairs out. They said, what are you doing? I said, oh, we're not going to going to be a low day. I said, that's not faith. I said, no, 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 that's reality. I'm telling you, my phone's been ringing. People ain't going to be here. Well, why are you taking chairs out? Because I, I don't want us to leave thinking the building was empty. We're manipulating these people. <laughs> and, and so, man, I took out about, tw- I don't know, maybe 20, 25 chairs. And sure enough, we had a much lower crowd, but nobody in their mind, they didn't even realize. It. So I started out by saying this. We're going to be, there's so many chances to be discouraged as a church planner. Eliminate as many of those as you can. And, uh, you know, no, we don't want to keep taking chairs out, we want to do it really wide. So we want to add chairs. But there's just, there's good Sundays and there's bad Sundays. I, I put on Twitter this past week, you know, sometimes all we talk about is the good Sundays. But but we, as home missionaries, we have bad Sundays too. And sometimes other home missionaries need to hear that you have a bad Sunday. We had our lowest crowd in probably a year and a half this past Sunday. Summertime. I mean, I, I can account for where everybody was, but it's just one of them Sundays. So I put on Twitter, lowest crowd of the year. Home missions is like a roller coaster ride. One minute you're going up, next minute you're going down. Just throw your hands up and enjoy the ride. Scream a little bit. Vow you'll never get on it again. Only to show back up next Sunday. Amen? And so, you know, I I put on Twitter last week that I said, I feel like I probably preached the worst sermon since the merger. (laughs) Maybe Azusa Street. There's just going to be Sundays like that. But you cannot go home and dwell on that. It will drive you crazy. Okay, any other questions?
3: You had talked about Troy and he, how he came in and how he looked. And sometime as a church planner, you know, wanting to get people activated. And I know you spoke about it last year. I wasn't here, but, you know, I listened to the tape. And just getting them activated if they want to sing. I know, like, the, the platform itself is for those that have been discipled, but for those that just want to be a part, what do, you, what do you do? I mean, was he discipled, or was it just? Yeah, okay, that's a great
1: question. Um, now, I can tell you what I do, but that doesn't mean that that's what you should do. It's just a way. It's not the way. Uh, and when I went and started my first church, I did it totally different from the way I'm starting my second church. And and the reason that is is cuz I'm 15 was 15 years older, had more experience, had had a team with me the second time and I wasn't just by myself. So again, I can tell you how I did it, I can tell you how I'm doing it, and that and you just have to kind of put that in a pot, stir it up, come up with your own recipe. I do think and I know I talked about this last year, but I do think discipleship is very important. There's got to be some level and some intentional purposes of discipling people. Okay? Uh, I'm hoping to one day have what I feel like would be a good discipleship program on DVD that is very generic. In other words, it's not just designed for my church, but it would be designed for any church. And then that would be one less thing that a pastor has to study for He could just have somebody over at his house. They could watch a 45-minute DVD. They could have handouts. They could have talking points and could go through that. But, yes, Troy, to answer your question about Troy. Troy immediately, I say immediately, it was probably six months of just coming to church, and then he enrolled in our discipleship program. Uh, And now Troy has went through all four levels. He has committed his lifestyle to that uh, of the church. And, and, you know, there, <clears throat> I, teach, I teach four things to new converts. I teach that, first of all, there's the priority of Scripture. So if Scripture teaches it, we'd have to obey it. There's no give or take. So the first thing is the priority of Scripture. second thing is principles of Scripture. Because there are some things that the Bible doesn't say, thou shalt not do. But there are principles in Scripture that would teach us we should not do this. So, And then there is the pastoral preference. There are some things that just as a pastor of this church, this is how I want to lead and I'm going to ask you to do this. Now you may go to another church just like ours and their, 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 their priority of Scripture needs to be the exact same thing as us. Even their principles in Scripture, they need to run parallel. Their pastoral preferences may be a little different. He may not care if you do this or do that in order, whereas that just may be something I don't want to do. So that's number three. And then the fourth thing is a personal conviction. So you've got priority of Scripture. You've got uh, principles of Scripture. You've got a pastoral preference. And then you've got to have some personal convictions. So <coughs> as I was teaching that to Troy, all of that started making sense to him. He was like, okay, I can see that. I understand that. So on some of the things that Troy was doing that was not right or wrong, but they just was anti-personal preference. When he talked to me about it, and I, I reiterated to him, I said, Troy, I don't want you to think that I'm saying you're a sinner for doing this. But as a pastor, I'm doing... And then I would explain my reasons. And it wasn't just because the pastor said so. It was I was trying to make a logical case. And Troy looked at me and he said, "I'm cool with it. It'd be done by Sunday." And I said, "Well, I want you to." He said, "You don't have to tell me nothing." He said, "I got it. Pastoral preference. That's what you prefer. You're my pastor. You're the one who taught me the truth. I got saved in your church. I'm with you. Boom, no problem." Then, uh, then you know, I, he said, uh, you know, wanted to maybe my wife wanted to start using them a little bit singing, and so I pulled him aside. I said, Troy. Uh, I need to talk to you about your tithing because in order to do this, I need you to tithe. And he said, oh, I tithe. <laughs> I'm looking here under your name and it says zero. He said, oh, no, 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 no. He said, I never put my name on it. And I knew what he was saying because there was always an envelope that I knew was somebody's tithe. And, and I felt like it was him. And he just said, I don't want my right hand to know what my left hand's doing. You know, he said, so I. Now, now, he was being serious. He just said, I don't, you know, I don't think it's nobody's business. And I said, Troy, I understand that. And I want you to know we're very confidential with this. And, uh, you know, there's only one lady in the church that would know about this. And I, I look at it occasionally, but I don't even look at it every week. So um, I said, I'm going to ask you to do that as an accountability thing. I said, because everybody that we use we're on this agreement that we're going to support the church with our tithes. And I said, so you're already doing that. All I'm going to ask you to do now is put your name on it. No problem, Pastor. I just didn't didn't want people to think I was trying to get any glory. I said, I understand. Well, now he's went from tithing to now giving to missions on top of his tithes. And now, just this past week, we're doing this sacrificial offering we do every year. We do it on Easter and collect it uh, 60 days later, and so he just paid a sacrificial offering of $600 that came in online this week, Uh, and here's a guy that I'm telling you was a new ager. Now, Brother White, to be fair, we don't have a problem using Troy or whomever to sing or testify even if none of those other things were met. If he was just coming to church and, you know, that was his church, but we knew he wasn't really connected like he needs to be, I still wouldn't have a problem with letting him sing a special or with letting him testify. Now, I wouldn't want him to become a permanent person, because once somebody becomes permanent, it's hard to remove them. But you can begin to use, we've got another brand new family that's coming, a great family, three beautiful teenage kids. Uh, he's some type of minister. I don't know his whole story yet, but we found out that his wife sings. I don't know if they're going to make the trip. I don't know if they're going to make the journey with us, but my wife just met with her last week and said, hey, we want you to sing a special one day. She doesn't look like us. And uh, and I'm going to be okay with that because it's just a special. You know, it's not permanent. We also started a, uh, a choir, what we call a mass choir. And on the mass choir, we'll let anybody sing. We will let anybody sing. But now what we do is we give them a platform policy sheet. Now this doesn't mean they have to live like this yet. So, But on that that Sunday that the choir singing, you got to dress like this, you got to look like this, we don't want this on the platform. And the reason we don't want that on... And so what that has done is that has allowed me to plant some seeds in people that's not coming to discipleship class yet. And they're like, okay, yeah, I can see that. I understand. I'll do that. No, they're not living like that during the week. You don't want to go to their Facebook page. (laughs) They're not living like that during the week. But on that Sunday that they're singing, they look the best they can, but then they feel the power of God. And then that choir kind of becomes a hook that they want to sing. I asked Brother uh, Doug Davis in, in New York, and then I asked Brother Kenny Carpenter which pastors in Tennessee, and both of them have very large, growing, thriving, apostolic, conservative, holy churches. And I asked both of them on two different occasions, what has been your greatest tool of discipleship? And both of them, no hesitation, our choir, because people want to be a part of something like that. So that pushes them over the edge to, to live right and to do right and to accept these lifestyle things, because they want to be part of the choir. Well, I'm t- it's doing the same thing in our small church. People love that choir. Now, again, that out of that choir is going to become permanent people that will really accept the lifestyle. But there is nothing wrong with taking what you got and using it and, and trying to advance that forward. So I hope that answered some of your question there. I always write down every sermon I preach places. Uh, but sometimes when I just do teaching and talking, it's hard to keep up with all that. Did, last time, did we talk about the difference between a platform and a porch? That was on there? You know, you've got to have that. You've got to have a place where people can come and and be waiting on God to do something, but but they're still part of your church. And And I don't think this is... I don't think this is out of the box of UPCI thinking. I think this is just home missions. And we haven't haven't put enough spotlight on that. This is just church planning. I promise you the other churches have done the same thing. I'll even promise you that the other established churches are doing the same thing. I bet you right now if you were to call Brother Anthony Mangan, he would say that he has things and positions in his church that people can do that are not Pentecostal but the the more you want to do the more we're going to require of you to come to this but you have got to i just want to hit cuz that's that spirit that we we need to crucify that's that they say spirit i'm worried about what they say please church planners if you know what you believe if you're apostolic would you please not worry about what they say and that's what I mean. You don't have to explain your people to anybody. We're just in verse three of a journey to verse 10. but there's going to be a great church here one day. Okay, any other questions?
4: Thank you very much, so praise the Lord, everyone. Uh, my name is Pastor Mattis from New Life Tabernacle, Bishop Mitchell, and I'm really excited to be here today. Uh, Just uh, to confirm what you just said, and it's been laid on my heart because we're about to go into a neighborhood right now in Brooklyn to plant a new church. And God laid it upon my heart that one of the ways to bring people together was through a mass choir. It's not the church choir, but it's a mass choir that will take up a whole multi-ethnic kind of group. And the reason why I believe God has placed it upon our hearts is we, our churches are either seemingly either black churches, white churches, or Hispanic churches. And they're, they're uh, I mean, just looking across, that's what it looks like. But we're trying now to make sure that the church is multicultural, where everybody is seen and is visible, so that everybody will be a part of our church. Because if only a black, if a black person comes in and they see only blacks, they feel comfortable. But then we want to know that the Hispanics are here among us, the whites are here, and every nation is here. Now, apart from that, which I just mentioned, the choir, I would like you to tell me today, what are some of the ways that you can help us to reach across ethnicities and create that oneness in our church?
1: Well, I think the first thing is you've got to want to do that. Amen. You know, you've got to... I don't want a white church. And and to be fair, I don't want a black church. (laughs) Now, and I don't have a problem with... The only time I think there needs to be a separate church is when there's a language barrier, not a culture barrier. I I think... Does anybody here know Brother uh, Grant in... uh, Is it Grant in Montreal? Paul Graham. Paul Graham. Has anybody ever been to his church? Oh my word. 62 nations are represented in that church. It is the best kept secret in the UPC. We have great churches down here in Canada and Montreal. Actually, how many of you are on Twitter? Okay, do this. This sounds like I'm promoting my Twitter feed. That's so <laughs> idiot. Go to, go to my Twitter account, at Jimmy Tony, J-I-M-M-Y-T-O-N-E-Y, and just scroll down a little bit because I retweeted a story about this church in Montreal. And it's a news clipping from, from Montreal, Canada, that will kind of just show you their, their church and their, the ethnicity of their church. But I think one, brother, just to answer that question, one, you have to want that, and then two, you have to foster that. You have to, and our choir has done that. We have Congolese in our choir. We have African Americans in our choir. We have Hispanics in our choir. And we did this Teacher Appreciation Day in January, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit. But those teachers that showed up to our service, the vast majority of them said, I cannot believe a church of this size has this many different ethnicities in it. Where my building is located, it is a predominantly black neighborhood. Okay, so when we do our block parties, we make sure that we have black people singing. We make sure that we have black gospel playing through the music while everybody's just mingling around. I mean, I'm a southern gospel fan. But I'm not gonna play Southern gospel that day. Because they're gonna be like wah, 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 wah. Okay. But then I make sure that we have some I say predominantly black, it's predominantly black and Hispanic. So I just make sure that they that we have Hispanic people testifying at our block party. I make sure we have black people testifying at our block party. Why are you doing that? Intentional. Intentional. Because I want them to know, you're welcome here. And not only are you welcomed here, you can be used here. So I just think it's a, that we have to culture it, or develop it.
0: Yep. I just wanted to say to you, my brother, um, being intentional to, to grow a multicultural church, as pastors... We have to want to be involved with just everybody, all ethnicity. I love people, and I, I've said that, and I believe that as pastors, we can't pastor without loving people. But we have to intentionally learn the different ethnicities of people. So my wife will tell you, every kind of nationality that I get around, I get involved with them to find out who they are and so i would now i would get around different people and people say yeah he's african today because when i get around the africans i'm into it Mm. you know i'm into it you know i know about ugandan folks i know about the kenyan folks and the nigerian folks because when i meet them i want to know everything and i want to learn their practices um, I get around my Spanish brothers, and that's it. I start messing around with um, the Spanish people. I say, when's the last time you've been to Puerto Rico, if it's from Puerto Rico? Or wherever, and they say, well, 10 years. Ago, I say, you need to go back soon because you're not real Puerto Rican if you haven't been there in the past three years. And then I'll say something to them that I know that happened recently in Puerto Rico. And they would say, well, I, I didn't know about that. Last night we, we met Shirley. Shirley's from Haiti. Now, I know the greetings in Haitian is Sak Pase. I also know that, um, you know, in, 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 in Haiti, a lot of the women name are Marie. And so when she said her name was Shirley, I said, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. what's going on with that? Why your name not Marie? I'm saying that to tell you, if we're going to be intentional to be diverse and multicultural, we have to get involved with those people. And when we get involved with them and they know that we care about them personally, It's great when we're making sure, you know, we do things intentional to say here is, you know, our choir. This is what it looks like. We want to do that. But people also have to know that you're not putting on. They have to know that you're not just doing it for doing its sake. They want to know that this person really like who I am, like my culture. Because to begin with, people are always uncomfortable thinking other people don't think good of their culture. So until they can feel like you're genuine and caring about my culture, they won't give you much there. And, and and when we can do that, intentionally get involved with people's culture, then will we see it in our churches because people know, oh, he's he's for real. He's for real.
1: That's very good. And and you practiced that last night. I was going to mention that if you didn't, just the way he connected with that girl from Haiti. Uh, you know, I mean, that. To me, that was just, he that went as souls is wise. You know, and so that was just very wise because it immediately let her know, oh, he knows something about who I am. Well, that's what people want to, people, you know, you've heard the saying, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. People just want to be loved. And at the end of the day, it really doesn't matter what the color of their skin is, what their culture is, Jesus died. For all of us. And I'm glad my church didn't turn a cold shoulder to me when I showed up because I was just some little poor country boy. You know? So, any other questions or not, we'll take a break here. We're running just a few minutes over. All right, very good. I want to ask a question before I talk a little bit. How many of you teach home Bible studies? Okay, now I, I want to ask an honest question. I just I want to see if this is happening in other parts of the country. How many of you are are is, well? Let me ask it like this: Are any of you finding it more difficult to continue a home Bible study? In other words, what's a home Bible study? Ten, twelve weeks. Are you guys able to do that weekly, or are you finding it more difficult for people to stay committed to that and for people scheduled to work with that? What's the thought on that? Obviously, we're teaching, we believe in teaching home Bible studies. Uh, I say this everywhere I go. I don't believe you can build a church without teaching home Bible studies. I think you have to do that. I want. Let me just say what I'm seeing, and you can either agree or disagree. But what I'm seeing in our church, and in our city, and we're we're not a small town, but we're not a large large metro area like this would be. But um, it's it's becoming increasingly difficult to keep people committed to a long term Bible study. Um, that, and that's not always their fault. Sometimes it's my schedule. Sometimes it's it's just life. But like, I'll teach a Bible study for about three or four weeks, and then it's like we take a week or two off, and then we try to come back. and Then we take three or four weeks off, and then for you know it's just kind of falling through the cracks. And don't agree with me, just agree with me. But does anybody else see that trend, and have that concern? Okay. D- does anybody have an idea of? how we can fix that? Because here's my thinking. We're either going to just keep doing it and not get any results, or is there any way we can tweak that process to try to get results? Because when home Bible studies... Okay, go ahead.
4: I think it it depends on, on, on people. Some people are willing to learn and some others don't. Like we were talking about that some people have only one gear. And then we just to adjust to the way they are. I
1: like that. I think when Home Bible Studies first came out, when they hit the scene about 30 years ago maybe, 35 years ago, I think it obviously it was a different time in our country. It was... Uh, Things were a little slower, and I think it really was a niche. What I'm just wondering is if there isn't another niche that we can do that would have the same impact for the next 30 years that the traditional home Bible study has had for this 30 years. What the you that
4: uh, our pastor do or bishop do in our church? is after a few meetings with those who are interested in home Bible study, what we do, we have a service every Tuesday night at 8 p.m. for general Bible study. But then prior to that, between the hours of 7 and 8 p.m., then all those who have been taught a Bible study or involved in Bible study would show up at, uh, within that hour. And what th- that eliminates a great part of having him having to go or send anybody to them. Because for that hour, all they'll be dealing with is basically the same things, doctrinal principles and what we believe. So within that hour, before the general Bible study, everybody who has ever been in a home Bible study would be, would be there. Right, very
1: good. You know, one of the things that I'm wanting to do, and, and again, this would just be for my local church, but we have four core values at our church, discover, experience, connect, and empower. So our four levels of discipleship, which I emailed out to you as well, uh, our first level is called Discover. Our second level is Experience, Connect, Empower. So what I'm thinking about doing is writing a Bible study and getting a professional chart made. And it just be four lessons. Discover. And the first lesson would be just Discover God. And just a very... Elementary, but detailed Bible study on the Godhead. The second lesson would be experience the Spirit. And then just, you know, a very simple lesson on being born again. Connect to the local church. That would be the third lesson. And then number four, empowered to evangelize. Just take those four lessons, because I think I could teach a Bible study to somebody for four weeks. Then implement them in some type of discipleship class or ongoing Bible study if they're more interested. But instead of trying to make everybody fit one mold, I'm trying to think of other ways that we can do. And just like I've got, I've got right now, I've got four families that I would love to come to our discipleship class. But they're not coming. They're not going to come to church another night of the week, and instead of me trying to force them to do something they don't want to do, I think the material is so important that I'm going to video, I'm going to record our discipleship program, and then I'm going to give them a DVD of it and just say, "Will you at least watch it at home?" Because, and I'll give them handouts and things, and you know, what I just, what I think we have to do. Now, I don't mean tweaking the doctrine. I don't mean tweaking holiness. I don't mean tweaking apostolic lifestyle, doctrine, authority, none of that. But just the way we present it, I think if we want our churches to grow, we have to give them different avenues to learn the same thing. Okay, now we're talking about church growth. And so... Do I really care if somebody comes to my discipleship class to hear me teach it? Or if they watch a video and they get the same lesson, is my ego that big that I don't feel like it's a good class if they didn't come hear me personally? Or can I can I increase or decrease my ego and let them watch it at home and trust God to talk to them there as well? You see what I'm saying? So I think if we're going to grow a church, we're going to, have to, we're going to have to be a little strategic. We're going to have to be a little uh, uh, intentional. And we're going to have to give people different venues. You know, some people just don't feel comfortable in a small setting like this. They would feel more comfortable if the church was full because they can hide. Well, that's fine. That's fine. I want those people to come to church. But I still want them to come to learn discipleship. So why force them out of their comfort zone if I could give them another way to get it? And I think we just need to do that. We were having a discussion at the table back there. And let me just say something. The the worst thing that I can say about church planning, and I don't have anything bad to say about church planning. Matter of fact, I believe if somebody's always griping about church planning, then they're not a church planner. They're doing something they're not supposed to be doing. Because this this is good. This is life. But the 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 worst thing I can say about church planting is it can become very lonely. And 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 I promise you, I'm a church planter. And me sitting at that table last night, fellowshipping, that did more for me. I will live off that night with these four brethren for weeks of just the the energy, the excitement, the fellowship, the laughs, the fun. And, and I'm not being silly here. I'm not being shallow. I'm telling you, that that is so important. So this little piece of paper that's going around that's got emails on it, if we don't stay connected, I promise you the enemy will try his best to destroy you. You know, I went to Omaha, Nebraska. I was by myself. I was young, I wasn't connected to people like I need to be connected to. It affected my church, it affected my personal life, it affected my marriage, it affected my family. And we can act like that stuff doesn't exist, but that stuff exists. And your wives need a place to get away and just vent and have fun. and We men need to get away, and, vent. and venting is not the same thing as gossiping. There is a fine line there. But we ought to be able among ourselves to say, boy, that was a dumb Sunday without anybody crucifying me. That doesn't mean I hate church planting. It was just a bad day. And I need to express that. And, and I also need to be able to have Brother Williams say, well, hey, you may have had a dumb Sunday, but we had the best Sunday we've ever had. And I need to rejoice in that. But we have to stay connected. If we're not connected, we cannot grow a church. Let me give you some book recommendations. I'm going to read just a little bit out of one of the books before I tell you what it is. The overall health of any church depends primarily on the emotional and spiritual health of its leadership. The key to successful spiritual leadership has more to do with the leader's internal life than with the leader's expertise, Gifts or experience. Okay? So if you want your church to grow, you have to be healthy. I have to be healthy. Our families have to be healthy. I heard Daryl John say this one time. He said, if there is a crack in the dam of your marriage pastoring... We'll never feel that crack. It will expose that crack. And then guess what's going to happen? That wall is going to break eventually. Okay, so if we're not emotionally healthy, so the name of that book, let me get there and tell you that. Well, oh, it's on my iPad. Hang on. The Emotionally Healthy Church and that's going to be by Peter let's see if I can say his last name Scazzero, Scazero, S-C-A-Z-Z-E-R-O Peter Scazero. S-C-A-Z-Z-E-R-O. Uh, Peter. Now that book, is it, it's not anything that's going to make you run the aisles over. I read it on an airplane. And I promise you, I wanted to ask the pilot to land. And I wanted to go back home. And I wanted to beg my wife to forgive me for being an idiot all these years. <laughs> so it would be a good book to kind of hit you kind of where you're living. Number two is a book called "The Blessed Life by Robert Morris. Uh, Robert Morris is a probably the best way to describe him, would be a charismatic preacher. Uh, I would think he's spirit filled. If I understand right, Robert Morris had moral failure early in his ministry and uh, committed adultery. He's rebounded. He's, he pastors a church, I believe, in Dallas. But he wrote a book called The Blessed Life. It's a book on giving. I have this strong passion that if preachers are stingy, then preachers are setting them, themselves up for failure. We cannot be stingy. And so that's a strong book on, on giving that I think would, would encourage you but also challenge you. And I'll give you one more. The marketing of evil. Yep. Yep. The blessed, the blessed life. The emotionally healthy church. Robert Morris. Sorry. And then the marketing of evil. Has anybody read the marketing of evil? Oh, my word. Class is dismissed. Go read The Marketing of Evil. Okay, let me me see if I can get you his name. Ted Kripillion, I believe, but hang on, I'll tell you. I've probably read The Marketing of Evil uh, three times now. I'm sorry, David... Kapilian, K-U-P-E-L-I-A-N. Now this is a, uh, Mr. Kapilian is a journalist, maybe for the Washington Post. He's a Christian type guy. This book is written from a Christian angle, but yet it's not really a Christian book per se. He just talks about how the world has marketed evil for it to not look like evil. The very first chapter is on the subject of homosexuality. I think this book was originally written 15, 18 years ago. You will think that it is, it is as prophetically fulfilling as anything that you would have ever read. I mean, he nails it, that this is what's going to happen this is how they're going to do it. And so, if you're a preacher and you can't get ten sermons out of that book, then you need to read it again because you're missing some good stuff there. Um, the um, So maybe those will help you out. Okay, let's talk about... Um, church growth, the Sunday School Division has this thing called Seven Super Sundays, I believe is what it's called. It's a uh, program that they use to get you from Easter Sunday to Pentecost Sunday. There are seven Sundays between those. And the idea is to get people in your church every week, then have a big explosion on Pentecost Sunday. Now, with all due respect to the Sunday School Division, that's not feasible in some home missions churches. Number one, our church can't afford to do all seven Sundays back to back to back to back to back. So what we have done is we've taken some of those ideas and we've spread them out about every other month at our church where we do something big, to help us really grow our church and reach our community. A couple of things we do that I just want to share with you. That I think every church here could start doing immediately. Number one is every year we have a miracle crusade. People need a miracle. And so we have a miracle crusade. The last two years I brought somebody in to preach it. Uh, this coming up year I'm going to preach it. And... Uh, and as a home missionary, there's nothing wrong with you, you preaching your own events. Because here's the deal. Here's what my wife told me. She said, you're the pastor. You're the biggest billboard we got. And we get the most people here for that service, and then they don't even get to hear you. So you're the pastor. You don't ever feel bad for preaching your biggest meetings. Because if anybody comes back to church... They're probably coming back because they liked you. Not because they like the evangelist. That's not going to be there again. But we do a miracle crusade. We do door hangers. We do handouts. we, We do moving billboards. What I mean by that is we get these big markers and we write on the back of everybody's windshield in our church, miracle crusade, put the date, and put our website. And for like two weeks before that, that's free advertisement. It doesn't cost us a dime. And when you're setting in traffic, people see it. And when your car is parked at work, people see it. So if you can talk your people into loaning their windshield to your church, that's free advertisement. And it works. But door hangers are inexpensive, handouts are inexpensive. Listen, I'm sure there's somebody in this room that could design you something and would do it free of charge. And you can get them printed online for a little bit of nothing. But we do a miracle crusade. It has really, I can't say that it's like put people on our pews consistently. But it's a great opportunity for them to see our church. And and you know in home missions, church planting is about just seeds. And so you plant a seed here. Second thing we do that has been super successful is our teacher appreciation service. Every year in January, we do a teacher appreciation service. The only way to advertise that is for your kids in your church to invite their teachers. So now you've got your Sunday school kids involved. You've got your youth group involved. And, and you you know, you've got to be creative. You've got to give them incentives to invite their teachers. Whoever brings the most teachers will get a $25 gift card, get a $50 whatever in the youth group. We did this. This was our second year. When we did it the first year, I think we had six teachers show up, which we were happy about. He said, why are you happy about that? Because they're teachers. They have jobs. The biggest complaint I have about home missions is we think we can only reach the poor neighborhoods. There is no reason why we can't throw a net out to people with jobs as well. I'm all for reaching the poor, but let's be fair. Let's just reach everybody the church. Now, that was good preaching right
2: there.
1: I'm going to write that down. That was good preaching right there. There's no reason why we just have to reach the poor. That is good preaching right there. There's no reason why we just have to reach the poor. You say, yeah, but Jesus did. I'll question that. I'll give you something to think about. What subject did Jesus talk about more than any other subject? Money. Now, why would Jesus talk about money more than any other subject if everybody around Him was dirt poor? Hmm. Jesus knew I'm going to need some people that would be willing to give everything they've got to help get that church off the ground. Jesus tried to get a rich, young ruler to follow him. (laughs) In Acts chapter 8, who did Philip preach to? He preached to an Ethiopian eunuch. Not just any Ethiopian eunuch. What was he in charge over? I'm not saying we just go after one group of people. I'm not saying we just have to go after rich people. But I'm also saying let's not go after just one group of people over here. If we're going to grow a church, we've got to. The biggest mistake, uh, here's mine. The biggest mistake I made when I started my church in Omaha is I focused on, on just one demographic of people. And so I had a, what I call a lot of bottom dwellers. Well, guess what? We reproduce after our own kind. So guess who they're going to bring to church? More people just like them. So I was paying more light bills, and I was paying rent, And I was being asked if I could help get a loan and can you help me get out of this jam and can you help me get out of that. It drove me crazy. And I'll be honest with you, I made some horrible mistakes. It put my church in debt because I was constantly having to pay people to come to church. We should not have to pay people to come to church. I'm going to say this with pride. I've been pastoring in Lexington for three years. I've not paid anybody's rent. Now, I've helped some people. There's nothing. I'm not stingy. But I've helped people because we saw the need and we wanted to help. Not because we just have a bunch of people lined up wanting to get their electric bill paid. Okay? Does that make sense? So I, I said all that. We had this teacher service. We had six teachers. They got jobs. We want them to come. Because if I'm going to reach the poor, I've got to have somebody with money to help me reach the poor. Well, this year we did our teacher service, and we had 15 teachers there. Now, that's not counting their husbands and their wives that came with them. I think we had 30-something guests in service that day. And guess what? One of them was a banker. And I've already got a connection with a banker. And that banker wrote our church a $100 check. And what we told those teachers is, if you'll come to our teacher service, what we would like to do is we'd like to follow up with you and sometime between now and the end of your school year, we would like to host a pizza party in your class. We'll provide the pizza and we'll provide the... Oh, we can't do that. Little Caesars, it's five bucks. and tell them it's going to be good pizza. I just said we're going to bring pizza to you. So for a couple of hundred dollars... Our kids, do you know how happy little kids were walking in church saying, Pastor, I want you to meet my teacher. And our young people bring in their high school and their junior high teachers to church. Church growth. Church growth. So what? Those teachers may not have come back yet. Some of them have. They, but they may not have become a member yet. But I got their address. They're on a mailing list. I just got an email from one of them last week, said, hey, we didn't ever get a chance to take you up on that pizza party, So, but could we do that maybe next year when school starts? Absolutely. She said, oh, and by the way, I just wanted to tell you that we loved your church, and we could not believe all the cultures that were represented in your church. Teacher service. Church growth. Another thing that we do, we started last year, this is going to be a huge success for us, we call it Christmas in July. Everybody gives away backpacks, so we're going to be a little different. We're going to do Christmas in July. We got a Christmas tree set up in our sanctuary, or in our foyer. We've got it decorated. We got the foyer decorated like it's Christmas time, and this is our time to reach our neighborhood, specifically our neighborhood. We're not trying to invite the city. We just want our neighborhood to show up. And our neighborhood, is a, is a there's a lot of drugs, there's a lot of alcohol, there's a bus stop right in front of my church. Uh, I probably have on a weekly basis, I probably have 300 people walk through the parking lot of my church every week. Just going to this convenience store back. I don't know how I'm going to do it yet, but sometime this summer we're just going to set up a tent and we're just going to give away water. Not even going to invite nobody to church, just here. But so we're, we're, it's called the Woodhill area. We're going to target the Woodhill area. And what we're going to tell them is on that particular Sunday, Christmas in July, this is the only time of the year I do this. There's nothing wrong with doing what you've got to do to get a crowd. But listen to me. I do not believe in bait and switch. If you give them an iPad to come to church, you're going to have to keep giving them iPads to keep them in church. But one service a year, Christmas in July, the last Sunday of July, we're going we're gonna to give away backpacks with our logo on it, little drawstring little backpacks. We're going to have school supplies in there. Every kid that comes, we're going to give them a backpack. Every family that shows up, we're going to give them a bag of groceries. we got a big old brown paper bag with our logo on the side of it. What we do is we give that, starting tomorrow, we'll give a paper bag to every family in our church, and we're, we give them a shopping list, and we're going to ask them to go buy these items, bring that brown paper bag full. 20 bucks is probably all it's going to cost. So on that Sunday, we're going to give away all these groceries. We're going to give away bus passes. We're going we're to give away a voucher to their utility company. We'll pay up to $30 for so many families on their, on their light bill. Well, you know what we're going to do? When we did that last year, we had 191 people piling our building. So we've got contacts. We've got people that's been back to church many times from that service. Again, it's church growth, but I'm not doing these things to particularly make our church grow overnight. I'm doing these things just to plant seeds. So everybody in here could do a Miracle Crusade. Everybody in here could do a teacher appreciation service. Everybody in here could do a Christmas in July or whatever you want to call it type deal where you just give some things away to your community. Church growth. Everybody say church growth. There are only five groups of people that you're going to spend your time with. Resourceful people. Important people. Trainable people. Nice people or draining people. Resourceful, important, trainable, nice, draining. Most of the time, church planners spend most of their time with the draining people. Oh, it's her again. Yes, I'll come meet you. Yes, we need to invest our time in some resourceful people, important people, trainable people, nice people, and and draining people, but they just can't be the most of our time. Everybody say church growth. growth. It was never God's will. Let, Let me rephrase that. It's God's will for us to be a one God church. But it was never God's will for us to be a one man church. If we want our churches to grow, we have to empower people and we have to teach our church that it's not going to be the pastor that's going to do every single thing in this church. And the quicker you get that in the culture of your church, the happier you will be as a pastor. When we started our church in Lexington, we just made it a culture. Our pastor travels. It's either that or i got to go get a job. And so we just tell them, pastor travels. So every time I'm gone on a Sunday, which I try not to be gone, but maybe five Sundays a year, but every time I'm gone on a Sunday... This is what they. This is what my team is programmed to say. Isn't it nice to have a pastor that other people want to hear? Don't y'all think we're blessed to have a preacher that actually other people want to hear as well? And we get them all week or get them all year. We can share them this Sunday. And so our culture, our church culture, they don't skip a beat when I'm not there. I'm almost convinced they have better church when I'm not there. The Sunday before Pentecost Sunday, I was out preaching. I got a text message during the middle of service that we have church at 2 o'clock. So my phone started buzzing about 2.35. We've already had two get the Holy Ghost during praise and worship. Me and my wife, either one wasn't there. My daughter was playing the keyboard, had somebody else preaching during praise and worship. We had two brand new people get the Holy Ghost. Then I get another text message at the end of service. Had another lady get the Holy Ghost in the altar. That was Sunday before Pentecost Sunday. I was saying, man, this is going to be awesome because when Pastor gets back and I preach this message, it's probably the greatest message since the day of Pentecost. And when I get up there and preach about this, there's no telling how many hundreds are going to get the Holy Ghost. And so Pastor gets back and Pastor's wife gets back. And boy, I preached the best message on the day of Pentecost. It was unbelievable. Not one person got the Holy Ghost. Me and my wife went and celebrated our 20th anniversary. And so we were gone on a Wednesday night, a Sunday, and a Wednesday night. We're never gone that much back to back to back. And when we show back up, people were happy to see us. Hey, glad you're back. But there was no murmuring. And there was no complaining like, Oh, God, I didn't think y'all was going to ever come back. Because we have a team in place. If you want your church to grow, you've got to invest some time and attention in your leaders. Okay, now I can give you all these little ideas how you can get people in the pew, but I'm I'm not going to focus on that. I'm going to focus on the fact that you have to invest yourself in leaders if you want your church to grow. Because anything that's healthy will grow. And if we can get our leaders healthy, we're going to have a growing church. There is no way that I could travel and do what I do if I did not have a healthy team helping me. You say, well, I don't have that. Yes, you do. They're just sitting on your pew. They're just disconnected dry bones right now. But you just got to invest some time in them. You got to talk to them a little bit. So if church planning is a one man show, you will burn out. You will burn out. I've been there, done that. Even the Lone Ranger had Tonto. I mean, even if you're a Lone Ranger, you got to have somebody. Even if you're the best preacher ever known to man, you still got to have somebody. So we got to develop a culture that can say it's okay to have other ministries outside. And this is why we've got people pastoring that, that, in my opinion, probably should never be pastoring, is because we have elevated the role of pastoring so much that you're not really anything in the kingdom of God if you're not a pastor i got a man in my church, his name is Brother Stevens. I'm telling you, if it wasn't for Brother and Sister Stevens, I could not be here today. Now, Brother and Sister Stevens is not pastoring a church. We'll probably never pastor a church where he just goes and takes a church. But he is 100% content with serving me. And by serving me, he's more involved now than he would probably be if he was out trying to start a church. And he's happier because he doesn't have all the stress. I'm serious. Hear me. I, I don't know who you are, so let me just pick on you. But there is nothing wrong... Who's your pastor? Okay. There is nothing wrong with you saying, you know what? The best thing I can do for my ministry is to serve this man's ministry. I'm sorry. Now see, I'm, going to, I'm, I'm proselyting. Uh, forget that. The best thing I can do for my ministry is to serve this man's ministry. Without somebody going... Hey, when are you going to do your own thing? How long are you going to sit under Him? Every good pastor I know will let people go when they're supposed to go. Now, I'm sure there's some bad ones out there, but but most of them are good. And every good pastor I know will release people when they're supposed to release people. They'll see something, but... the You know, the UPC has this thing, and I understand it, and I'm being negative toward it. We like it. We use it. Launch your ministry. But that's a great title, but if that's your mindset, that could be the worst thing you want to do is to launch your ministry. Why don't you help launch somebody else's ministry? And by doing that, by serving others, creating a culture that I can serve others, you're going to help the church grow. Because if the man of God is healthy, the church is healthy. And the only way that the children of Israel was going to have victory is if Moses could keep those hands lifted. Well, it gets kind of tiring after a while. But the only way he could keep his hands raised is for a Moses and a her, or a Aaron and a her, to climb up that mountain and say, "I'll stand beside this man of God, and I will do everything I can to keep his hands raised." Every Church planner in here needs somebody to say, I will do everything in my power to keep your hands raised. Brother Wyatt, you're a good man. Everybody loves you, but your hands can get tired too. So somebody in his church needs to say, You know what, Pastor? I don't care about preaching. I don't care about teaching. I don't care about getting any spot on the pulpit. What can I do this week to hold up your hands? Healthy churches grow. And we need to develop a culture, especially in church planning. I'm telling you, if we can do it in our churches as church planters, we will change the face of the United Pentecostal Church in 20 years. Because we will develop a whole generation of different type of thinking. That it's not, like Brother Wyatt said, uh, if you, you know, it used to be if you go to a Bible college, you know, somebody graduates Bible college, they're waiting on a pastor to die so they can take his church. And if he don't die long enough or quick enough, they start putting antifreeze in his drinks and hoping he dies. Then he just withers up and he's sick and you now you're stuck with a withered sick pastor instead of a dead one. Just wait. Because I've got to be a pastor. Because I've got to be a pastor. I've got to be full time. I can't work this job. I'm talking about you want to grow a church? Help a pastor. But I promise you, If this brother is healthy and strong, he can start a church and he can start daughter works. But if his hands are tired and he's burned out, he can't do it. I I promise you, I wish Brother Stevens was here with me right now. Because somebody just told Brother Stevens, when are you going to go get your own church? And he said, Pastor, I looked at them and said, I don't even think like that. He said, I wouldn't even think about leaving Pastor Tony until we have at least 500 people. And he said, then he'll have to release me, but I'm not looking for a way out. You know what? I can build a church on that. People can respect that. You've got to develop a team of people. Leadership is not about positions, it's about posture. I don't have to have a position to lead, but I have to have the right posture to lead. One of the definitions of the word posture is the attitude of a person toward a particular subject. Well, I'm sorry. I never got into ministry to preach a camp. I never got in ministry to preach a conference. I never got into the ministry because I wanted to come to New Jersey and talk to church planners. I got in ministry because I just wanted to serve. And we need to flip this pyramid back upside down because we've created this culture that the pastor is the CEO when really Jesus said the greatest among you. If Jesus can take a towel and wash the feet of His team, if Jesus needed a team, don't you think if anybody could have done it by himself, Jesus could have done it by himself? But, Jesus, I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to find 12 ragtag people, 12 disconnected people, 12 people who's got some of them are going to have anger issues, some of them are going to still cuss even after they join the team. They're going to fight, they're going to fish naked. Weird stuff. They're going to cut off people's ears. But I'm going to work with them. And that same God that's cutting off ears is going to say, He that hath an ear, let him hear. He's going to preach the gospel. There's people sitting in your church right now, they'd be disqualified in a lot of places. But if you'll work with them a little bit, Jesus, you can turn something over to them in three and a half years. Before Jesus ever started His church, He started a team. Invest in people. The Bible says, how should one chase a thousand and two put ten thousand to fight? If if a pastor by himself can build a church to fifty, then a pastor with a team can build a church to three hundred. Amen? Everybody say, grow a church. I'm not smart enough to grow a church by myself. I don't even think like that. I promise you. I, this is not pin a rose on the Tony's day. But, but I promise you, me and my wife, we do not even think along those. When they have good church when we're not there, when somebody else is singing and leading worship, when, when a new person is playing a piano that she's trained and worked with, and when there's a new person on the drums, and i got somebody else in the pulpit, and they're doing good, we're like parent, proud parents. Our head's about to explode. We're like, my God, that's what this is all about. That's going to grow a church. We all need to become servants. At the end of the day, if we're going to really grow a church, we've got to get back to what ministry is all about, and that's serving people. And you as a pastor, you need to not only serve your church, but you need to serve your team. You need to serve your team. There is no such thing as accidental apostolics. You're not going to stumble in here and just be Pentecost. If you're Pentecost, you're going to be Pentecost on purpose. You made up your mind to be this. So if we're going to grow a church, we're going to have to make up our mind. We're going to grow a church. And let me tell you something. Growing a church is hard work. Hard work. And God does not call lazy people to the ministry. I have yet to meet a church planner that if he was lazy that he would build a church. I've seen people, I'm going to go start a church. (laughs) I tell my wife, they ain't going to start a church. Why would you say that? Because they're lazy. They're lazy. Lazy people can't start a church. God never called one person that wasn't already busy doing something else. And I, I have a belief, I don't think the disciples were a bunch of old men. I think they were young people. I think Peter was probably the oldest one. But the sons of thunder, I mean, they still had their mama trying to jockey them, you know, get them a position here and position there. I just think they were young men, but they were still busy as young people. You don't wait till you're 30 to get busy in the kingdom of God. Had a man tell me one time, Pastor, I'm called to preach. I said, No, you're not. He said, No, I really I feel a call to preach. I want to come to ministry class. Nah, you're not called to preach. Why would you say that to me? I said, Because you don't have a job. You're 24 years old and your wife's working two jobs and you're sitting at the house playing video games all day? No, you're not called to preach. Ain't a chance in the world you're called to preach. Called to get a job, but you ain't called to preach. Because God has... I said if God has called you to preach, then God, you're the first person that God's ever violated His rule with because He's never called a lazy person. There's not a chance in the world you're called to preach. Can you believe that guy is not in my church today? Can you (laughs) believe Can you believe he didn't stick around? Okay, I want you to write this down. I want you to go to Google, and I want you to Google these words, the golden circle. The golden circle. Does anybody know what a TED Talk is? TED TED Talks? This is a TED Talk. Has anybody seen the golden circle? Okay, good. The Golden Circle is a business principle. It's like an 18-minute video. I'm going to ask you to watch it twice. The first time, just watch it. Just watch it for what it is. It's a business video. It's 18 minutes. You've got the time. Then grab a piece of paper and watch it again. And this time, think of it from your church standpoint and from a ministry standpoint. Because he had a whiteboard up there, and he took a whiteboard and he drew this big circle. And on that big circle, he wrote the word what. And then inside that circle, he drew another circle. And he wrote the word how. And then inside that circle, he drew a smaller circle. And he wrote the word why. And he was talking about how most businesses, they just focus on what they do. And they're somewhat successful. Some businesses take it a step further and they'll actually tell you how to do it. And they're even more successful. And he gives all these illustrations, great preaching illustrations. And then he says, but if you can find a company that will tell you why they do what they do. He said, now that company will change the world. And he said, their employees will die for their company. These other ones will quit and go find another job that's paying $2 more an hour. If you're just doing what and how. But when you find out why, they'll die for the company. If we want to grow our churches, we've got to quit focusing on what we do. We've got to quit focusing on how we do it. And we've got to start teaching people why we do it. Now, I grew, grew up around, what, when I was a teenager, I graduated high school in 92. So, late 80s, early 90s, I would go to high school. And people would say, hey, why do you live the way you live? And I would say, because my pastor says so, or I would say it's my religion, or I'd say it's because I'm Pentecostal. Oh, okay. And immediately in people's minds, they're thinking, well, then I'll never be Pentecostal because I don't want to do that. What horrible roadblocks that we're putting on people. Well, once I started pastoring, and I didn't even know about this golden circle until recently, but once I started pastoring, I realized, once I saw the golden circle, oh, that's what's happening. I knew what to do. I knew how to do it. I just didn't know why. And I'm telling you, when people understand why we do what we do, they're going to be more apt to marry that, give their life to that, serve that. And if a pastor and a leader doesn't know why, the pew will never know why. So I need to know why so I can express that. But we need to teach people why. I'm talking about growing churches. Invest in your team. Teach your team why. You say, well, I've got a brand new church and I don't feel like I can teach some of these Pentecostal lifestyles. Isn't that a, isn't that a hurdle for every church planner? You're there for a little while now and you feel like, man, I need to teach this. But I know I'm going to have six people sitting out there that ain't ready to hear this teaching yet. And it's not because I'm a coward to teach it, but they're just, I'm, I'm going to try to cram a piece of meat in their mouth, and all they can do is suck a bottle right now. Start having you some leadership meetings. Invite people to those leadership meetings. Say things like, hey, I think you've been coming around here long enough. Would you you mind joining me once a month for a leadership meeting? And you handpick who you want. But then you get there in those leadership meetings and you start teaching those things that you want to teach. And you start taking those leaders and developing those leaders and get your core believing exactly like what you believe. And then you're, you're making a change without having to hurt somebody that's not ready yet. And teach them why we do what we do. Church growth. If you just throw a number on the wall and go, we want to be 200 in two years, good luck. But if you will build men and if you'll build leaders, you may not be 200 in two years, but if you're 50 in two years and you've got leaders in your congregation, you're setting yourself up to have 200. On a good foundation, does that make sense? Okay, real quick. I know you, you, you snag and you're tired, so let's let's just open up for just a few questions here, and then we'll we'll keep following the schedule, but let's just take a short little question break. Any questions or comments? Yes, sweetie, you got something to say? Uh, Pastor was asking a question a while ago, so I want him to re-ask that question and then we'll talk about that.
0: Yes. Uh,
4: The question uh, was, how do you balance uh, a congregation when you have new converts coming in and you have to be dealing with others that came from another church and has been comparing you to the other pastor? Uh, how do we address such a situation when, when it's bleeding over into affecting the new converts, based on what they think a pastor should do, taking it from where they're coming from? Uh, how would we deal with that?
1: Um, now, I'm a straightforward kind of guy. Okay, I'm not. A, it's not that I like confrontation, but at some point, you're just going to have to have some real awkward. Conversations to start a church. This would be one of those. The longer you let it go, the more damage it's going to do when you have the con- when you have the conversation. So it's almost like let's have the conversation right now, and it's going to be really weird, but it's going to help us out. I think the first question you have to ask is why did I move here to start a church? And you need to really answer that question. And the answer to that question is probably going to be to seek and save that which was lost. So I didn't move here to get the disgruntled person from down at the other church. That's, that's her fifth church to be in anyhow. And that's his seventh pastor in the last three years. I didn't get them to come. I, that's not why I moved here so they would come to my church. Okay, uh, I think that's the first question you have to ask yourself. And then when you answer that question honestly, then you have to be honest to who you are. And now we are shepherds, and we're supposed to protect all sheep. And so when one wolf comes in in sheep's clothing, we have a responsibility to protect the flock. Which means I may have to look at that person and go, Look, I'm I'm glad you were able to come to church here, and I would love for you to keep coming to church here, but you're saying these things and it's starting to affect our new people and I don't know if you're meaning to do this or what your agenda is but I'm going to ask you to stop and is that going to be a problem? And they may go, you know what, Pastor, I didn't even realize that that was being perceived like that. Absolutely. It'll stop right now. Well, praise God. Move on. Or if they kind of bow up a little bit, You just have to look at them and go, you know what, I don't think this is going to be the church for you. Now I talked about that in detail last year. That if a pastor cannot have that conversation, he cannot build an apostolic church. But see, as home missionaries, we get so desperate to get people in the church that we need somebody that knows how to shout amen because we're too impatient to wait on verse 7. We want somebody to pay their tithes because we need a little help financially. I'm telling you, I would rather be poor than to have disgruntled people paying their tithes that's going to sabotage what I'm trying to do. This right here, that's a pillar this little pole is a very important part of this building now when we broke for when we took our little break and if we'd have came back over here and this pillar would have been here then all that would have taught me is that's not a pillar because pillars don't move and so if all these people are going from church to church to church. I'm talking about apostolic people. I'm not talking about people that don't know the truth that's looking for truth. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about Pentecostal people. They're bouncing around from church to church to church. And they're, oh, I'm fourth generation. That's what I had somebody tell me one time. I'm fourth generational Pentecost. You're fourth generation on your way to... Pillars don't move. Don't build your church around Pentecostal people that move in because they're going to move out. They're going to move out. Now, there's some legit move-ins. Legit move-ins are people that move... What is this, Irvington. People that move into Irvington because they got a job in Irvington and they're good people and they moved from Lexington Kentucky and they've been good people in my church but they got a job out here and they moved out here those are good people and we call that a letter of transfer where the pastor can say those are good people you know they will they will support you they will be behind you they're good you want those, those people have got to go to church you want those people but you don't want the person that's been in every church in New Jersey Metro. that so again you know I'm not saying hold a sign on your door that says you're not welcomed here but you don't want anybody to to in, infect your new babies did you, did you say your wife's about to have a baby or she had a baby okay so if um, if I came in here and I had leprosy would you want me to hold your baby oh but now you're being judgmental pastor you're supposed to love everybody no, that's my baby. If you got a fever, don't want you to hold my baby. If you're coughing all over the place, don't want you to hold my baby. It's not because I don't like you. I just don't want you to give my child what you got. Well, this church is my baby. And you stumble up in here and you've got some worldly disease on you. Listen, I, I I told the guy that told me he was called to preach. That guy was no more called to preach than I was called to be a pope. The guy was selling, well, there's children here. The guy had a sexually perverted lifestyle. When it all came uncovered, unbelievable. I'm not talking about just messing up, I'm talking about issues. So finally I looked at him and said, Hey, man, you're not welcome to come back to this church. You can't do that to me. Yes, I can. Because I've got a youth group to protect, and I've got young marriages in here to protect. And you are forbidden to talk to any one of them on Facebook. Don't you send a message to one of them at all. Because I know what he was doing. He was just laying a trap. And so like six months later, he called. I'm doing better. Can I come back to church? Nope. Because I'm here to pastor everybody. You understand what I'm saying? And so you have to just make sure that who you hand your baby off to to hold... Treat your church like you treat your family. And and you'll be all right. There's just some people there's not a chance in the world that I'd let my daughter hang out with. Doesn't mean I hate them. Doesn't mean I ain't going to pastor them. Doesn't mean I'm not going to love them. But just no way in the world my daughter's ever getting in that vehicle. Not going to happen. There's just some people that's never going to preach in my church. Because I don't want that spirit to get connected to our church. There's just some people I'm not going to give leadership positions in my church because I don't want that spirit connected to my church. So we have to make a stand. We have to make a stand. And and I know there's exceptions to every rule, but I I hope that makes sense a little bit. And I'm straightforward sometimes, so please just kind of overlook me. Yes, ma'am.
2: Okay, I have a question, and it was pertaining to what you said earlier about... um, when, you, when people would ask why you dress like that and stuff like that. I go through that regularly. And, you know, when they see that, they say, uh, so I guess I'm not going to turn apostolic or I'm not going to turn a Pentecostal. How do I fix that? Because that's really provoking.
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, here's what I teach. And, and I'm going to take a scripture and totally twist it out of context for a minute. Okay. But when Moses said, how do I go to Egypt and tell those people that you've called me to lead those people out? He said, you tell them I am that I am. Okay, now, when we walk into this world and we want to lead the world out, we cannot lead anybody by telling them you are that you are. I have to tell them I am that I am. I do what I do because of this. Without ever one time inferring... That now you need to do it. See, what what I say earlier about a dog barking? We shouldn't be surprised when sinners sin. Shouldn't be surprised when a dog barks. Sinners don't need our lifestyle. I'm going to let that settle in for a minute. Sinners don't even need holiness. Sinners don't need sanctification. Sinners need salvation. Do you realize that God did not give the children of Israel the law, the rules, the lifestyle, until 50 days after they came through the Red Sea? 50 days after Passover? So, what did they need? When they came out of Egypt, the first thing they needed was they needed blood on their doorpost. They needed to consume a lamb. They needed to go through a Red Sea. They needed to get under a pillar of fire. And then after that, now God can trust them with rules. You know what a sinner needs? sinner needs blood. sinner needs repentance. A sinner needs to go through the Red Sea. That's baptism. A sinner needs to get under that pillar of fire. That's the Holy Ghost. And then that sinner needs to be able to just wander in the wilderness for a little while before we start putting rules on them. Does that make sense? So I tell people all the time, you, you don't need... I just taught a Bible study. A lady looked at me. She's 72 years old. She said, I heard from somebody. She had a sister that was somewhat connected to a Pentecostal church, I think. My sister said that I'd have to quit cutting my hair if I came to this church. Her hair is shorter than mine. She's 72 years old. My sister said... She doesn't talk like that. I don't know why I'm making her sound like that. My... My
5: sister said that I would not be able
1: My sister said I'd have to quit wearing this clothes. This is exactly what I told her. I said, You need to tell your sister there's other things you gotta worry about. I said, Marion, you're seventy two years old. You've never repented of your sins, you've never been baptized in Jesus' name, you've never received the Holy Ghost. You don't need to worry about any of that other. If you start doing all that other stuff right now, that ain't gonna save your soul. Marion's one of the ones that got the Holy Ghost the week I wasn't there. Baptized that seventy-two-year-old lady a few weeks before that, and I was telling her, Marion, Marion, you're gonna have to, you're gonna have to open your mouth, Marion, if you want the Holy Ghost. You cannot get the Holy Ghost if you don't open your mouth. She sitting in that tank, she looks at me, she said, "Would you shut up?" I said, Marion, I'm gonna hold you under for a long time. She didn't need to worry about the other. This is why I think we just ought to tell people, you know what, you don't even need to worry about that. What I need to wear to your church, clothes. We do prefer people not to walk in naked. Other than that, come on in. You've got to be careful today, because some people have those blouses that are biblical, low and beholding. Uh, and, so, and so you have to be careful. So we, we just want clothes. But I tell people all the time, don't you worry about that. Because here's the thing. If you don't have the Holy Ghost, you can't comprehend spiritual things. And if somebody gets those things before they get the Holy Ghost, mark my word, they will become the most judgmental, hypocritical people in your church. I tell our church, I preach a whole sermon around this. If you live like that and you don't have the Holy Ghost, you cannot call it holiness. Because holiness has to come from the heart. And you got to have the Holy Ghost in your heart to even begin a holiness lifestyle. You can call it disciplines. You can call it lifestyle choices. But you cannot call it holiness. Now, there's nothing wrong with the way we look. And our look needs to be different. But... But but we just need to, we need to just tell people, you know what, you need the Holy Ghost. You don't even need to worry about that. I didn't think I'd ever do this either. I didn't think I'd ever live like this either. I used to not live like this. But I got the Holy Ghost. And I, and I, and I, not you. Not you need to do this. You need to change. I, 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 I. That'll really help out. So again, maybe that'll help. Any other questions? This is good. This is good. This will help us grow a church. This will help us grow a church. Let me ask you a question, because you live in such a an city area here. What do y'all do for outreach? How, how do you do outreach? You know, I know there's a lot of apartments and... Okay, we'll say it again.
3: Uh, sometimes go to, like, a supermarket and just hand out tracks and everything. Okay. Yep.
1: Very good. Yes,
3: ma'am?
5: Like, you go to church first, and then you you walk down the street, and you meet people's house, or if the person is not there, you just drop it at the front of the door.
1: I love that. I love that. It's a great idea. I may take you back home with me. Uh <laughs> Now we do.
2: <laughs>
1: Look at me proselyting all up in front of the pastor. <laughs> um, I, I hate door knocking. I don't know if I'm supposed to say that being a church planner. But I hate it. And you know why I hate it? Because I hate for somebody to knock on my door. I'm serious. When I go home, I just want to be at home. And I just think that most people think like me. So I feel like I'm at a disadvantage immediately when that guy had to get up out of that chair, put a shirt on. What? Yeah, we just kind of was thinking maybe you'd want to go to our church. No, I just want to go back and finish my movie. Okay. So what we do and what's highly successful for us is door, door, door hangers. We put our information on it. Now here's my viewpoint on door hangers. I don't expect one person to come to my church from a door hanger. <laughs> well, then why do it? One, because I expect them to go to my website. And anytime we do a campaign of door hangers, I promise you, the traffic on our website goes up. And so on my website, I've got sermons. I've got what we believe. So if they show up, then they heard something they like. If they don't show up, it just saved me a lot of times from getting emotionally involved and then them leaving me anyhow. So I tell our church all the time, hey, we're doing our door hangers. Um, We've had... Two hundred more hits on our website this week so that's a success and so there let, let me just talk for just a few minutes and then I, we'll do we'll end it with this let me talk to you about church growth but let me let me introduce these two words to you spiritual activity how many of you have ever done an event and nobody showed up for that event or, or from that event so like you're gonna canvas an area and when you get through with that area you think man people are gonna people are gonna come and then yes pass that microphone right there yes I would like you to place some more emphasis on door knocking because it works a lot for some people and I'm planning to do that maybe. The next two weeks from now. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and there's... Okay, and, and again, I'm just giving you one angle. Now, remember me saying you got to throw it in a pot, mix it up, and do what you want. Uh, I've got a family in my church that hates hanging door hangers. But they love door knocking. And they're very comfortable with it. And they do it. And they get a lot of doors slammed in their face. But they do get a chance to meet people and pray with people. I still uh just for us it doesn't impact our church like it does some others but i've talked to other guys who they live and breathe by that you know and again you're doing the same thing you're just a walking billboard you're a walking door hanger and if you're able to have that conversation i think that's great and i think whatever works and whatever you feel comfortable with is what needs to work and please anytime i say this is what we do I'm not saying that any other way is a bad way. I'm, please don't. I'm sorry if that came across like that because it's definitely not what I want to do. Uh, it's just I'm trying to to tell you what has worked for us personally, and thinking that maybe it would work. And somebody else would come next week and say, "This is what we've done," and what works for me may work for one person in here, and what works for the other may work for ten of you. But yes. Yeah, but we kind of mix it all together.
0: Brother White. I would consider myself, if I must say so, an expert door knocker. Come on. And I will tell you this. I find myself, I do 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 a lot of door hanging, hanging door knockers. And I find myself doing less door knocking now than I did some years ago. And I believe just like Brother Tony talked about this morning with our home Bible study chart, the 12-week that normally runs for a year, because when I teach a home Bible study, I'm usually in your home for a year. And so as that begins to, as we see that, that, that becomes less and less effective. Somehow we're not, people are not given the time, and we're not given the time, and so that doesn't work as much as it used to. I think it's the same kind of concept going on with door-knocking. People are so busy that when they finally get a chance to relax, they don't want to be bothered. And so depending on where you're door knocking. So I find myself in certain communities where I door knock to be more effective and more received than other places. Oh, that's very good. So so depending on where you are, there's some places, they're just so glad. Um, I did door knocking. I hung door knockers and did door knocking not long ago and one lady this this was great testimony came out and said well okay and I started talking to her and she was like So who's the pastor? I said I'm the pastor. She said I've never seen a pastor door knock. But I just think it's just the community where I was. Sure. They they want to interact. Nobody's coming to their community. I think it's based on location. Yes.
1: And and another thing about anything, you know I think I think if the church doesn't expand its thinking, then we're only going to think it can only be done one way. And that goes back to what Brother White saying, even like our Bible studies. I'm not saying we abandon Bible studies. I'm not remotely saying that. I'm just saying we need to think of something else that can help bridge that gap for this generation. Um, and the same thing with this. I mean, just because door hangers have worked for me successfully for three years... That doesn't mean that in the next three years they're going to keep working. So if I do it another year and we're not getting, that, I got to think of something else. I can't just say, well, I got to do that. Uh, but I do think we're just living in a different time. But again, let me just reiterate: where you are, your personality. There's, we ought to make a TV show on that. <laughs> Different strokes for different folks. I want to talk to you just for a few minutes on on something called spiritual activity. Um, Because we have done this before. We have done like a huge outreach and nobody shows up when it's over. I mean, we blitz this neighborhood. We pray. We fast. We anoint door hangers. We walk the neighborhood before we do it. We're out there in clown costumes, we're doing block parties, come and everybody come for the free hot dogs, and we got church tomorrow and then who That is discouraging to a church. And so the Lord spoke to me through the mouth of a friend. And he said, just sitting at lunch one day, he said, Jimmy, he said, Have you ever done an event and people didn't respond to it? I said, Yes. And he said, but then a week later, somebody shows up that you didn't invite? Yes. He said, do you know why that is? No. He said, it's called spiritual activity. And when he spoke those two words, I'm telling you, it changed my concept of thinking. Because spiritual activity, Paul said, we become all things to all men, that we might by all means win some so here's the equation for revival all plus all plus all equals some so i got to do everything i can to everybody i can with every ounce of energy i got and i'm just going to still get some okay all plus all plus all equals some spiritual Activity. There has to be activity on our part before there can be action on His part. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray, then will I hear from heaven. We're not waiting on God. God's waiting on us. So if there's activity on my part, there'll be action on His part. I do not believe that God blesses a stale church There has to be activity. Let me say it like this. Spiritual activity, I would define spiritual activity like this. Doing things that stir up spiritual welfare that will produce spiritual warfare. Now when I say welfare, I don't mean the government giving us money. Welfare is defined as the state of doing well. And so when I do some spiritual things well, it's going to stir up warfare. If I am doing church well, if my church has good welfare, it will experience warfare. There's times where everybody's saying, hey, we're excited about that report across town. And I'm thinking, forget that report across town. I'm sitting over here dying. I don't care about that guy. I care about me. Is it okay if I just be honest? Now obviously I gotta crucify that spirit. But there's some times that, that spirit rose up. I don't I don't care about revival over there. I need revival right here. God, what are you doing? And most of the time here's the answer. They're doing something and I'm not. They got all kind of activity going on. They're trying to help people find jobs. They're trying to help people get off of drugs. They're trying to offer a soup kitchen. They're trying to give meals. And I'm just sitting here going trying to study, and I want to preach a good sermon. I don't understand why anybody's here. If you sow a little, you're going to reap a little before we get mad at the brother across town or at the brother in another state that's having revival, before we get mad at him, let's take an inventory on what we're sowing and then let's compare to what he's sowing. And I'll bet you there'll be a vast difference. Because God is no respecter of persons. I believe I believe God wants to give me a great revival in Lexington, Kentucky. But I also believe God wants to do that exact same thing for you. And I don't believe God loves me anymore or loves me any less. But He's going to respond to our activity. Everybody say activity. If we work little, He works little. You remember the story in the Bible where Jesus showed up in one city? Was it Bethesda? or uh, I forget which one. But He shows up and the Bible says He could do nobody work there because of their unbelief. And the Bible says they were offended at him. And so he could do no mighty works in their midst except lay hands on a few sick folk and heal them. Because they were offended at him, he couldn't do anything mighty. Don't you tell me we can't control God. Don't tell me that we don't have power over the all powerful. If we don't want him to move, he won't move. If we come to church offended, he's not going to move. But what would happen if we switched that and we got offended at the devil? If God couldn't work like He wanted to because we were offended at Him, wonder if that same principle applies to the devil. And if we get offended at the devil, maybe He wouldn't have as much power as we want Him to have either. Don't do do not ever. And I'm telling you, when you when you feel like that, that's your flesh. I've been there, done that. But then you have to say, okay, am I doing something for God? And if I'm doing something for God, and if I'm stirring up spiritual activity, God's going to take care of me. What about the farmer who had this beautiful crop? Some guy told the farmer, he said, oh, look what the Lord has done. That farmer looked at him and said, the Lord? He said, you should have seen it when the Lord had it by himself. There was nothing even planted there. What the farmer was saying was, I had to go stir up some activity so the Lord could do what He did. You can't just walk in your city and go, Look what the Lord has done. You got to plow. Isn't that what it's called? Yeah, you got to plow, you got to plant, and God will give the harvest. God, where's the harvest? God's saying, Where's the plow? God, where's the harvest? Where's the planting? You have no spiritual activity. And because of that, I can give you no spiritual action. And we must be an active church. In all of our trying, and all of our praying, and all of our consecration, Paul said we're just going to get some. Now, that's a hard pill for me to swallow. But there's a good chance that we're not going to win the whole city. There's a good chance we're not going to be liked by everybody. There's a good chance that if we're really going to be apostolic, that we're going to have people that hate us. Jesus had Judas who loved too much money. Jesus had Peter who had an anger issue. Jesus had Thomas who doubted. And God was their pastor. What kind of issues are we going to have in our church with me being a pastor? So all that means is we will definitely have our fair share of imperfections around the church. But, everybody say but. But but we're going to keep planting and we're going to keep plowing and we're going to keep watering and we're going to keep trying and we're going to keep preaching and we're going to stir up some spiritual activity. Amen? Activity produces action. Activity produces action. Remember when 2 Kings chapter 13, when Elisha said, take the bow and arrows and he took the bow and arrows and he smite them three times. And he told him, he said, now you're only going to have victory three times. What you should have done is you should have smitten and smitten and smitten and smitten. Keep it up. Keep it up. Keep it up. Yeah, but we've done that before. Spiritual activity. Do it again. Yeah, but we planted seeds there to do spiritual activity. Do it again. When you get out and you're doing outreach and, and the devil's trying to convince you that you're wasting your time, I want you to tell him these two words. Spiritual activity. There may not be one person that comes from this, but i got to do something. And that's why I think door hanging, I'll just put another plug in there. That's why I think door hanging is is so good because it can take the most shy person in the church that's scared to death to knock on somebody's door, and it can get them involved in some type of activity. And now they can go home and go, man, I hung door hangers for an hour today. I've helped my church and then when somebody shows up and it's a first time guest we don't know where they came from and i don't ask i don't try to i don't try to say did you come from a door hanger because i don't want everybody's doing door hangers that they didn't to think well i'm wasting my time i'm just like look we've got five first time visitors here ain't this awesome spiritual activity spiritual activity what about the four lepers men they said if we sit here we're going to die Listen to me, home missionaries. If we just sit here, we're going to die. If we just sit here, we're never going to build a church. Yeah, but but, but we're just lepers men. We're just weak men. I know, but, but if we get up and we just start doing some type of activity, maybe something will happen. <laughs> just four little weak men. And when they started walking, let me get over here and see what I can break Every time they took a step, it was amplified. I don't even know if they could hear it. But the other folks could hear it. Just four people in the church. Just four weak people. But they started stirring up some spiritual activity. (laughs) And God ran out a whole city Because four people said, we're not going to sit here until we die. I wish there'd be a home missionary that'd leave here and say, you know what? I'm not going to go back home and just sit there. I'm going to start moving. I may not hear my footsteps, but I believe that God's going to amplify and magnify my efforts because it's activity. I'm stirring up something. I just got four in my church. Move. Get them walk. Do something. Activity. Everybody say activity. God. God could have, I think he could have. He's God. He could do whatever he wants. God could have given them the Holy Ghost at any given time, but he wanted them to experience some spiritual activity. He wanted them to see that praying brings the power. He wanted them to see that obedience is activity. Now this one's gonna mess with us home missionaries. That's why he told him to go to Jerusalem and wait. Waiting is a spiritual activity. Now waiting is totally different than doing nothing. I'm not talking about doing nothing. I'm talking about waiting. I'm talking about going to the upper room and praying and wait. I'm talking about Handing out invites and waiting. I'm talking about believing that you're gonna have a big crowd and nobody's there, so you're just gonna wait. Still preach, still pray, still believe. They didn't just go in the upper room and sit there. They prayed. They prayed. They had church. They fellowshiped. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. If we don't learn how to wait, we're gonna tap. We will never tap into the supernatural. And if we don't wait on God, let me tell you what we'll do. We'll create man-made, sensational junk. We'll be pulling rabbits out of the hat to try to surprise people. Wait on God. Waiting is a spiritual activity. What we do as a home missionary church, what we do as a church plant, it is not insignificant. Yeah, but our church isn't big. All Sodom needed was a church of 10 people. A storefront would have spared Sodom and Gomorrah. Don't you think your church is insignificant? All God needs is a storefront to save a city. All God needs, Nineveh, is one preacher to preach repentance, and the whole city's going to hit their knees. Just be willing to get involved. With some activity. Let's keep our activity moving in the right direction. And our action will be determined by our activity. Or let me say it like this. Our book of action will be determined by our spiritual activity. He's got acts in both of them. If you want a book of acts, you've got to have some activity. That's all I got. Any more questions? Or Brother Why you want to say something? Yes. Oh, microphone.
2: I had a question regarding what you were saying um, about doorknobs, but also to add that I was watching a video um, on YouTube and it was showing that prior was a very significant way that people, when they do knock, what they do is instead of saying where they're from, they offered prior first to see if that could open up a door for them to just, you know, 90% of people don't deny prior because everybody believes God is this. Even if they don't believe your particular God, they believe in who you're praying to or what you're praying to. And so I was going to say that earlier. What I realized is for me, I do like when I go to my doctor's appointment, I use a lot of um, flyers to invite people but they never show up and i always get so disappointed because i'm like i'm trying to do what i'm supposed to do here but then when i learned that prior was the key and then i start activating that i'll give you an example sunday that just passed um we came to church and i was Sorry. very disappointed because it just looked so empty <laughs> and so i said to one of the church sisters i said where are the people oh my god i can't sing today And she started laughing at me. And I was like, no, I'm going to go pray. And then this family walked in. And I think he had, like, everybody in his household with him. And I was up there. I was like, thank you, Jesus. I was just singing. Like, it it did me, like, it felt good. Because I think it motivates us. I don't know about anybody else, but I feel bad if I'm preaching. And I'm preaching to two. I mean, two is good. But you get what I'm saying? I feel like. The, the crowd encourages us, even though we're not here just for the crowd. Yes. If you're understanding what I'm saying. I so, prayer works for some people. Door knocking works for some people. I don't know. I'm just saying that. Well, just and saying. I think
1: it's got to be a mix of everything. And that's spiritual activity. Do it all. And you're going to get a little bit from everything. But, you know, and, and again, I don't want to... I'll just come from another whole angle. If the whole church just gets together and prays... If they'd have just stayed in the upper room praying after the Holy Ghost failed, there would have not been 3,000 people baptized. But they had to spill out of the upper room, and they had to let the world see what they had. And so while I love prayer and while I believe in prayer, you can't just pray 24 hours a day and God to build a church. You know, so you got to take all of these principles and say, okay, and here's another thing, while you're do- out doing door hangers, or door knocking or any type of outreach if you could get another group at the church just say you know what for this hour you stay here and pray and then you're just as part of the outreach as we are now again you're you're finding other opportunities for people i'm just i'm telling you we've got to find opportunities for people to feel like they're connected to the church without it just always being my way and so uh, I, I, you know, I just prayer. We've got to pray, but we, you know, we've just got to mix all this together.
6: Yes, sir. Thank you, Pastor. There's one question I just want to follow up, and, um, in relation to, let me phrase it this way: folks that God is bringing into the church to get them assimilated into the body, not they're not to the point where they can become a pillow sure but to help them feel belong um, could you speak to that a little bit what can the church planter can do while we're while we are somewhat waiting um, to probably assign them so to speak sure so what are some of the things that has worked effectively as God bring those people into the church it seems to have a commitment to the body but they haven't maybe not received the Holy Ghost as yet. They are Excellent. probably baptized in Jesus' name. But what as a local church could, as pastors, can do to simulate them and get them plugged in, so to speak?
1: Okay. Um, one of the things that we do is we don't, we don't have members and non-members. If you come to our church, you're a member of our church. Okay, so we don't, we don't make people feel segregated there. So, like, if somebody is on the platform, we don't say, you know, this is our member and this is our guest. So, I mean, even just in talking, you know, like I had one lady similar to what you're saying. She's like, I'm not even a member here. I said, how long have you been coming here? She said, three months. I said, oh, after the first time, you was a member. <laughs> this is your church. And she just had this look on her face like, really? This is my church? Well, Yeah, I'm your pastor. And so, like a week later, her daughter's in the hospital. So, me and my wife's at the hospital. And she's like, the church that I used to be a member of, my pastor wasn't even at the hospital. I'm not even a member. Yes, you are. You know, I don't even pay my tithes. You're a member of our church. So, that's one thing. Two, I think, is you you just try to get them involved in something. A, A greeter. A Sunday school teacher helper. You know, now it's, you know, depending on where you are. Uh, you know, we had Sunday school teachers that were Pentecostal, but we needed helpers. Well, that's a great place to incorporate these new people. Once a month, we ask them to serve in that. Oh, they feel apart. Um, another thing I think is communication outside the church. Go out to eat with them. Have them over to your house. Let them know there's real... F- send them a text with no church... Just, hey, thinking about you today. Just constantly create some type of communication with them that, that it's not just a Sunday deal. That we think about you throughout the week. That's going to that's gonna speak volumes. If you hear that somebody is sick, send them a card. Send them a gift. Uh, you know, I mean, there's, there's going to be people that can out-preach us. There's going to be people that can out-money us, out-budget us. But there's, there should not be anybody in your church that can out-love you and out-pastor you. Now, that's just going to take a little bit of work on your part. but And that doesn't mean you have to have money. But I'm telling you, these, these other cats, they don't go to hospitals. They don't visit with people like that. And, and, and it doesn't have to be you. You could send somebody in your church to go. But teach them from the very beginning. If, if Brother so and so's there, that's like me being there. And then they know that they're, that's part of their church, that they're connected. Um, a thing that we do is I do a group text. We have this little program where we can send out a mass. So I'll just send out a mass text to everybody in the church. Uh, and I put everybody's name on it. And I always say to the faithful people of LexStaff, You know, and so they're getting it. They may come once a month, but they've just been reminded that they're a faithful person <laughs> of Lexstab. So I think just little things like that. And another key thing that we do. Now, I went this time with the team. So I had a few more people to work with than going in by myself. Um, but I try to get our team involved to communicate with other people because people expect the pastor to do it. But if just somebody else sends them a message and say, hey, can we grab coffee today? To them now, well, I expected the pastor to do that, but I didn't expect you to do that. So now they feel like, oh, there's a good relationship here. So the more people you can get involved to connect with those type of people... Without it just being you or your wife, that will always be a good, a good thing as well. You had a question.
5: Yes. Um, my question is, how do you identify like-minded people for a particular cause? Say, for instance, you know, it's church planting. Sometimes we want to uh, say prayer about a specific thing. And sometimes I may think, well, let me get to a pastor, for example, But then as we're we're praying and, you know, you have that passion, you realize that it's either not there or it's so weak. Not that the person has to be identical to you, but it's so, so far away that you feel like, you know, maybe you were not the right person for me to pray with about this particular thing. So how do you identify, you know, things or traits that you look for?
1: Very good. Um... You know, we always like to pride ourselves by saying there's no cliques in our church. But that's a lie. Every church has cliques. It, 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 there may not be a clique, but every church has people within their church that they feel more comfortable being with this person than being with that person. We just had this big blow up in our youth group because two girls felt like that are 13 felt like the two that are 18 that they didn't connect. Well, they're not supposed to connect. You know, and so, and I told I told both of them, look, there's no hate here. She likes you, you like her, but y'all just aren't going to hang out. But that doesn't mean anything because there's, there's an age gap there. I mean, personally, I wouldn't want my 13-year-old daughter hanging out with an 18-year-old to begin with, but that's just me. Uh, and so within every church there's gonna be people that you connect with better. I think the way you identify that is trial and error. You know, you just you're friendly to everybody, but then you you have that connection. And you know what you know what that feels like. The Bible says this we reproduce after our own kind. Okay? And so if we don't get connected with our own kind, then there's not going to be any reproduction. And so what I mean by that is if if me and brother brother Wyatt if if like I if he just couldn't stand me just for whatever reason everything I did got on his nerves i was just want, and you know those type of people i don't make them bad people but they know where every one of your buttons are and they refuse to touch you anywhere except where those buttons are he wouldn't enjoy hanging out with me And he may not enjoy hanging out with me. I'm not sure. But he wouldn't enjoy hanging out with me. That doesn't make him bad. And that doesn't make me wrong. Now, if we try to force that, we're probably going to have feelings contrary to one another. So in a church, a healthy church, you don't dislike anybody. But you know if I talked to her twice a week, I'd want to strangle her. So what do you do? You don't talk to her. Now, again, it's not. But now this other person, you can't live without talking to them. So you just have to kind of mingle. You have to find that. And then you have to work hard at making sure that that doesn't become what, what would be labeled a click. I don't call it a click. I call it a connection. There's a good connection there. And what I, what I feel like we have to do as a church, and what I think as a pastor, as a pastor we have to have enough of the gifts of the Spirit working in us, even the gift of discernment, that we're able to discern who needs to be connected with who. And just like, I, okay, I just had a meeting with our youth pastor. And I said, these two young people, two guys, they're connected. They like each other. When you do something with one of them, get the other one to go with you. Because now you're killing two birds and one stone. Because there's a connection there. Let's not work against that. Let's, let's nourish that. Let's work with that. And so the same things in church, you know, you're going you're gonna to find people you're connected with. And when you're doing that, if it's someone new, your job then is to become a disciple maker. That I'm going to disciple this person. And I tell our church all the time, as our church grows, you're going to see less and less of me. And what I mean by that is, like, when we first started, I go out to eat with you once a week. But now it's once a month. Well, once newer people come in, we've got to give time and attention there. So it's going to be once every once six months. But you have to grow up too. As the church grows, you have to mature with the church to know that we can't keep the same relationship that we've had. But that's where you become important. That's where people in the church become important because now you can all be connected with different people. And the pastor can be connected with the leaders. The leaders can be connected with the saints. The saints can be connected with the sinners. And now we're going to keep this real healthy flow of people coming in the church. Did that answer? Maybe it, a little it, bit.
5: It does make somewhat, it clear. But uh, the, the, per se, the the problems that um, arise out of a lot of things that somebody feels like, well, Sister Lacey is my friend, but Sister, but Brother Hudson is not my friend. So. Although you've explained that, you know, as people come in, we're going to be transitioning, sometimes that's not so acceptable because people feel like, well, I should hold on. Or, you know, you didn't call me all week. Oh, but Sister Lacey told me she got a call or a text from you. So it it becomes, and as church planters. That's reality.
1: You're talking real
5: church planters wives what happened is somebody feels like well you're close to First Lady so you ask her you know and then you find that you're starting to reach out to somebody else and then they're somewhat apprehensive or withdrawn and you're wondering what happened sure you know but then they start believing that they're not loved they're not appreciated and and they're not your that's real
1: talk that's reality. Now, I'll go back to two things. One, I just those are growing pains. So those are just th- that's going to happen. Two, go back to what I said earlier. You're going to just have to have some communication. And that's where teaching comes involved. That's where leadership classes become involved. If you can, you know, just start having more things where you're where you're touching more people, and in those classes, you're able to teach it so straight. My train I call it pulpit training class. My pulpit training class is as raw and as straightforward. It's scary how straightforward it is. But they love it. Because I tell them, now look, this is not the pulpit. This is me trying to train you as leaders and as future preachers. So I'm not going to... I, I can't say a lot of this over the pulpit because of everybody that's out there, but but you're here. And so now let's just take our gloves off and let's talk about it. And we say stuff like this. I'll be like, y'all can't get mad if I don't return a text. You know what I did on my phone? I went to the place where you can, you know, if you read a text message, it'll say read at such and such. Go, go If you're a pastor, go, go disconnect that. Because what they'll do is you'll read it and maybe you didn't respond or you don't want to respond yet, but they know you read it at 12 o'clock. And it's 1210. And you haven't responded yet. And I have a problem with that. So I just went and deleted that part to where then they, they never know when I read it. And so now I can go, I can eliminate that. But I talk to our leaders straight. Don't be like that. Don't act like that. We have got to grow this church. Now, we need you. We depend on you. But just like you want me to spend time with you, there's a new person that wants you to spend time with them. And if you get busy doing that, you won't miss your time with me. And and it's awkward, but if you can just have those awkward conversations, it will advance your church. So And I... Here's another thing that plagues home missionaries. Is everybody that does everything for us is volunteer. So now if it was an employee I was paying, I would have no problem. Like, look, I'm paying you. This is what you're going to do. I pay you a full-time salary. But when people are giving it of their own time, you're apprehensive. But if if you can have a relationship where you can just talk straight and, and say, you know I love you. And yes, I sent him a text. And when I do stuff like that, please understand, I know more than you know. And I needed to respond to him, but I knew I could get back to you later. I trust you. And then there's times that my leaders will text me. I, I, y'all going to think I'm so mean. I'm not mean. I'm just trying to teach people. Like one guy texted me last week. And he said, hey, I really need you to call me. I'm real discouraged. Well, I knew he was going to be in service with me that Friday night where I was preaching. And I knew he needed to hear what I was preaching. So I just, I didn't call him. Because I knew he needed to hear the sermon. And then I didn't want him to, I didn't want him to say, well, the only reason you preach that is because you talked to me earlier that day. And so I just didn't even call. And then I told him after church, he said, hey, I really needed that. I said, yeah, that's why I didn't call you. So I just told him, straight up, that's why I didn't call you. And, but I'll call you this week. Well, I didn't call until yesterday in the airport. And just talk for a few minutes. And, and that is teaching them that, hey, he's not going to drop everything he's doing to call over something that's really not life or death. Now, if something is, is an emergency, we're there. If my wife called me this morning and said somebody died or was in a car wreck, I wouldn't be here right now. I'd have jumped on a plane and I'd have got there. And, and you know, but I'm talking about just these little issues. You just have to teach and train and talk and develop your leaders and, and then develop them to tell others. Because th- this is what happened happen next, is somebody in the church will tell a leader, Man, I ain't heard from pastor in a week. I know. But listen, he is so busy. Do you realize that he has got to help church planners in New Jersey this week? Isn't that awesome? That he was able to go and help that, and he got to preach a conference in Mississippi, and several people got the Holy Ghost. And Isn't that going to be awesome that he'll be back in town tonight? you got to teach people to talk like that, because they're protecting you. You let one leader let a door open, to where they even think they listen to something negative. You gonna have a mess on your hand. You have to squash that. Any other questions?
6: How do you manage that? How to manage? That's opening up where leaders uh, undermining leadership. How do you manage that within the organizational structure?
1: Well, I think Jesus had Judas, and so because that gives me peace that if Jesus picked one that undermined him, then I'm probably going to pick four that would undermine me. Um, And and I'm serious about that. That's a little peace of mind that that's going to happen. When it happens, you just have to deal with it. I go into every leadership knowing this could happen, but that's not what I'm thinking about. When it does happen, I'll deal with it. And whatever deal with it means, it depends on what it is. But I'm not going to let that discourage me from pouring myself into somebody else. Because for every Judas, there's 11 more that's ready to turn the world upside down. You know, and so something we do once a year, we do a leadership staff meeting type deal where I bring everybody together and we'll have a prayer meeting and I'll wash everybody's feet. And it's a really broken night. Um, if there's been any conflict or any tension throughout the year, you know, I'll, I'll go to somebody before that service. We'll fix it. We'll, we'll make sure we're ready to move ahead. I'll, I'll, we'll take communion. I'll, I'll reach down and wash their feet. And again, I've got a church. I don't know that my new converts are ready to understand foot washing yet. But foot washing is something Jesus told us to do. And so that's something I can do with my leaders. And so it, it works out really well. And I think the deal with with leaders, and some of this was in some notes that I didn't get to, submission is not a one-way street. Submission is a two-way street. Respect is not a one-way street. It's a two-way street. So if I want you as someone in my church, to be submitted to me, then I need you to know that I'm also submitted to you. Now what that means is that I'm not King Tut. I'm not the Pharaoh. I'm not the dictator. I'm not Saddam Hussein that's making everybody do what I want to do without any accountability to me. And so I really try to talk very plain with our guys. I try to let them talk back to me. What's going on? What can I do to better serve you? How can I, I try to do little things for people? My youth pastor and his wife, anytime I go out of town, I give them my car. You know, I fill it up with gas. I let them keep it and drive it because they just have one vehicle. And so it's a huge blessing to them. But at the end of the day, they know, man, he loves me. When I, when I, another leader in my church, if, if I can slip him a hundred bucks, and just say, hey, we want to bless you this week, and can't do it every week, but this week. I want them to know that I'm willing to, to serve them and give back to them, that I'm not just here being the guy that's taken. Does that make sense? And that money that I found on the street that day, well, I only needed 300 of it. You know, I need to pay my tithes, and my car note was 269 or something. So that was perfect. I just needed 300 So I called the other two team people, that went up there with me to start my church. I called their family over that night, and I gave each of them 300 And I said, this is miracle money. You know, I'm going to share it with my team. Well, they'll never forget that. You know, um, so anytime you can do something like that, you're creating a culture. My youth pastor, one Sunday, he took his little baby out and sat out in the foyer while I was preaching. And I didn't like it. It made me mad. And uh, but I didn't say anything. Well, the next Sunday, he did it again. And so he was up there playing the bass after service. And after all the call was over, I went up to him and I said, uh, Bro Rios, can I pastor you for a few minutes?" And he said, "Yes, sir." I said, "I don't want you to ever take your baby out of service again, setting it for you." I said, "Now, if he's crying, that's one thing, but just to go out there and sit, you're a leader in this church." If, if people see you do that, they're going to do that. And I said, now, if he's crying and disruptive, that's one thing. But just to go out there so he can play around. Not, he can play around on that pew. we got to teach him how to sit in church. Yes, sir. Never happen again, Pastor. Yes, sir. Done. So, what was that, a two-minute conversation? But he knew that I didn't like it. And he knew that I didn't want him to do it again. And, I mean, no issues. It was awkward, but it's what we got to do as leaders, you know. And so uh, if we can't do that, if we can't run with the footmen, we can't keep up with the horsemen. And so if we can't do these little things right now, we're not going to be able to do the bigger things
3: when our church gets bigger.
1: Okay, any other questions? We're right
3: on time. I, I have a question, something that you talked about last time you were here. I just heard it over the video, but when you have put together your bylaws, you stipulated in your bylaws that letting the church know that I want you to be accountable to me and I'm accountable to someone else. So I have pastors in my life that um, if anything goes wrong with the church that, you know, you can look to them. I'll bring them in quarterly. But the one thing that stuck with me is that you said something about a presbytery presbytery board that if anything, any allegation that the church may have felt happened with you, that they would be the ones to judge you. And they all have to be in agreement. And I just thought it was interesting on something that as a church planner to add as a safeguard that, you know, I, I have the district board, but I also have a board of people that know me that if there's an allegation of misappropriation of funds or whatever it may be, that they would be the ones to come in and to, even if they have to say, well, you need to sit down for a while. How do you get to that point and how do you put that language into your bylaws?
0: Um,
1: well, we just... Just kind of wrote it in, <laughs> you know uh, I mean we just said what we wanted it to say, and so you can do that you know as long as you're doing business by your bylaws, but i've I got that concept from some bylaws that were already that was already written uh, and I'll be more than happy to even give you my bylaws if you wanted my bylaws just to look at um, now bylaws are very very important to a church they sound boring. But here's the deal. If somebody can sue you if you're violating your bylaws. But I've had a judge tell me that nobody, no judge is going to sue a church if they're operating by their bylaws. Now, it doesn't matter how bizarre those bylaws are. <laughs> but but if, you are, if you're being hypocritical with your bylaws, then they'll nail you to the wall. But if you're doing what you're supposed to do. Now, on the presbytery, what we call a presbytery board... That is made up of of three men who are at different stages of their life. One's an older gentleman, one is my pastor, and one is another guy that is very, very loyal to my family. So all three of them are in my corner, per se. All three of them are holy men, they all have great reputations. So if somebody in the church says, we think Pastor Tony is flirting with a woman, or we think Pastor Tony is spending money that's not his, whatever. Instead of that local church board, which is made up of just the men in the church, instead of giving them the power to pastor me, I want them to know there's other men that can do that, because they're not pastors. And when a church board gets power especially from a pastor that is wounded or that has made a mistake, it makes it very dangerous for any pastor that follows that pastor. Because a pastor has to pastor. And so what this does is this gives me accountability that my church knows there are men that says no to me, that there are men that would tell me, hey, I think you're gone too much from your family. Hey, here's a prime example. One of those men on that board just called me last week. He said, I think you need to start taking your wife with you more than you do. Yes, sir. I said, any particular reason why? He said, I just think think she needs to travel a little more. I said, well, sometimes that's not possible because sometimes it's not offered. And if it's not offered, then that means I have to pay for it. And then that kind of defeats the purpose because it's my job. And he said, no, I totally understand that. He said, but when you can do it, do it. So I sat down and told my wife. I said, hey, Brother Enzy said he felt like you need to travel with me a little more. Uh, and, of course, my daughter's getting older, so she can stay by herself now. And my wife hates to travel, you know, so it's kind of out of her comfort zone, too. So we looked at my calendar, and we said, hey, I'm going to Alabama next week. And uh, our daughter's gone on a missions trip. Well, I looked to buy her plane ticket. It was too expensive. And I've already got my plane ticket bought. But because the man said it, then I'm just going to hold that plane ticket, some other flight. And me and her is going to drive to Alabama next week, spend the week. She'll go with me preaching. But once I explain that to my leaders, and I'll tell them stories like that. I'll say, you know, brother, so-and-so said this needs to happen, and I did it. Because I want them to know that I'm submitted and I'm accountable. So now when I ask you to do something it's easier for you to be submitted because you know I'm submitted too. And it's just a safeguard. It's a safeguard. So if those men come in and, and somebody accuses me of something and they come in and they look at the facts and they go, you know what, this is true. So they would go to the board and they would tell the board, you know what, there are, there are some discretions here or indiscretions. And so what we're going to do is uh, uh, we've asked him to take three months off and we're going to try to restore or whatever it is. Now, if, I think the way my bylaws are written up, if it's, if it's immorality, then I'm, I'm immediately dismissed. You know, I can't, I can't sleep around and try to keep my church. So I'm immediately dismissed. But if it's something that's just a, a gray issue, then they could say, you know what, you're going to take three months off. You're going to go set at so-and-so's church, and we're going to get this. And when you're done, you're going to come back and be the pastor. And of that preservative board, one of them is the chairman of that board, So that means he would become the interim pastor. Now, it doesn't mean he has to preach every time, but he would be the one that would get people to preach. And then they restore me. I come back. All is well. We keep moving forward. If I get killed in a plane crash today, that chairman of that presbytery board, he would immediately become the interim pastor. And he would take care of my family, and he would find the next pastor of that church. And then that takes all the burden off of these brand new people that don't even know how the system works. And and so to me, it just, it lets me tell them, I'm accountable. I'm submitted. So therefore, when I ask you to be accountable, I want you to be willing to do that because I am.
3: Any other questions? I got one more then. Yeah. Um, referring to the video, the session you did last year, and it was, um, the book you had mentioned was Launched. Launch, right, and then how you do a preview service, right? Um, just to go over that again, like especially for New Jersey, um, that sounds like it would be a good idea for New Jersey to get in the idea of doing. Because some people are doing like a, a what, what is Wayne Huntley doing, like a tent revival or something. But the launch, like, would that be a model that New Jersey could could work with?
1: Well, I think so. I mean, I'm a, I believe that my church is where it is right now. Because of those launch services. You know, launch. Launch. Nelson Searcy. Nelson's a New York boy. He's got a church in New York City. Uh, he's out of Rick Warren's church. He's a, he's a Baptist type guy. And you'll have to cut through a lot of that book. But there's some good principles in there. But that's where I got the idea of the preview service. What a preview service is, is so three years ago i go into Lexington. I moved there on Memorial Day weekend, 2012. Me and two other couples. And so we, uh, we get everything planned. We find out where we're going to have church. So we have one service in July. We have one service in August. And we have one service in September. And that's how we advertise everything. That's on all of our mail outs. That's on all our door hangers. Preview service. One service each month. Because vast majority of new people are not going to go to church every Sunday. So you immediately have an angle. You're not asking them to. Just come this one Sunday. And then we had full-fledged church. which a preview. We want you to preview what we're going to do here. We want you to see what we what we have to offer. Um, and then you collect that information from those people at that first preview. And then you don't have church for another month. But you that those next four weeks, you're following up with those people. You're contacting those people. You're trying to get those people in a Bible study. Um, and then, of course, you want them to come back to the next preview. But you want them to invite somebody to come with them. So now you... Just got one more service. So you do that again in August. And then you've got a few more people there. That's the idea. (laughs) And so then you get those people's information. Repeat. Do it again. And the whole thing is when you start weekly, the idea is to not start weekly with just your family. The idea is to do preview services and pick up a few people along the way so that when you start weekly, you're starting with maybe 20 people. Or 25 people. Our goal was to have 40 by the time we started weekly. That at any given time we opened the church on Sunday that we would not have less than 40 people there. We wanted the preview services to do that. They did it. We've never had less than 45 people in church since we started. But it was because of those preview services. So yes, I think that's something New Jersey could do. I think that's something anyone could do. And what? And I don't even... If I had it all to do over again, Brother White, I would I would probably do six months of preview services, not just three. Because everybody can have one good service a month, but then you got to follow that up next week. Ain't got to follow that up next week, and you, you kind of how many can admit you've lose a little momentum from week to week sometimes in church plants, because you had a really good Sunday. And then you had like three really bad Sundays. That, that wears them. So this whole concept is to take away that element of discouragement. Because if you had one good Sunday, and be very, I said this on that tape too, be very realistic with your goals. Don't try to say we're going to have a thousand. Our first preview service, we wanted ten people other than our team there. Eight to ten. The second one, we wanted 15 to 18. The third one, I think we wanted 25 to 30. And then we were thinking the next one, when we started weekly, we'd have close to 40. And we blew those goals out of the water. But those were our goals. And, and I'll tell you what, when we had our first preview service, we had 101 people, I think, show up for our first service. We had way more than that. But once you eliminated all the other Pentecostal people that was there, and just the real Lexington people, it was 101 or 103, something like that. Unbelievable. So we all went to my house at night, and we were all like, oh God, this is going to work, this is going to work. Oh my God. Okay, let's, I tell you what, I know we were going to, let's have church again next Sunday. Let's call these people, and let's tell them we're going to have church again next Sunday, because that's 100 people. Oh God, oh God, oh and then we had to calm down and go, wait a minute, we got a plan. Let's stick to the plan. And I'm so glad we did. Because I'm telling you what we'd have done next Sunday, we'd have nine. And then we'd have been like, oh. So guess what? We got to ride that wave for four weeks <laughs> instead of one. And that's a big deal. That's a big deal. If you're a church planner, and you, you go two or three Sundays where it's bad, 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 that's rough on us. So this just kind of eliminated that. And the book teaches you, you do it until you get a certain amount of people coming. And then you start weekly. And people go, oh, no, you can't do that. you got to have church every week. I'm all for that. But the reality is most people that are non-church, they go to church twice a year. So once a month, that's like big time. So it just kind of... Now, what you got to do is you got to protect yourself and you got to protect your team. And so we found a church about 50 miles away. Great man. He's my presbyter now. And I talked to him. I said, Brother Naylor, can, can my family come to your church between our preview service? Because I was out preaching. But can my family and my team come to your church on Sundays that we're not doing the preview? Absolutely. And it was far enough away that no, no ethical lines could be crossed. Well, great relationship even a better relationship today because of that. And and so, you you know, you have to have some things in place to take care of those weeks in between. but And like for midweek, what we would do is just meet at my house. I'd just bring my team to my house, not not other people, just my team. And we'd have prayer meetings and we'd have meetings and we would laugh and eat and fellowship and iron sharpens iron. And that really developed a great church plant there. So I would highly recommend launch. I'd highly recommend preview services. Whoever the next guy is that comes to New Jersey to start a church, I would just say, hey, this is kind of our policy. You don't have to do it, but we kind of like for you to try this, and we'd be willing to help you. It's easy for a church to send over some people to help once a month instead of trying to send somebody every single week. Okay, any other questions? Five minutes here.
5: I. I thought that idea was excellent, but since we've already started, how do we incorporate, um, you know, like a preview service? I don't want to go about it wrong or say it to my husband and then we go about it wrong. And we got the essence, and you spoke at length about it, but how do we incorporate that in our churches now?
1: You know, that's a good question. I haven't done that, so I'll just talk off the top of my head. Because we're, at the, we're about three years old, and it would probably be good for us to do that again. So um, I would think just do the same thing. Even though you're already meeting weekly, even though you have already have a core group of people that's here, when you blitz an area, let them think it's a brand new church again. Just say, we're a new church in the community, because you are. And we're having preview services on this Sunday, this Sunday, and this Sunday. And we would love for you and your family to come be a part of it. And then on those Sundays, have it. Have everything top shelf. Have your Sunday school department ready to go. Have your ki- you know, the place for the kids to go. Have, and, and when those people come in, they don't know who's new and who comes all the time. And then just tell them, hey, we're going to do this again in a month. We'd love for you to come back. Well, if they'd show up between and see you're having church, that's no big deal. But, so I think you would just do it the same way. And just uh, almost like a, a revival once a month, but call it preview sir, Just kind of market it that, hey, we're a new church. We want you to come check us out. I think it would even probably be extremely effective after a church has been there three or four years. you got my brain rolling now. I know what I'll be working on on the airplane. Because I think it would be good to kind of just reinvent. Start it over. Okay? Let me say as he's coming, I love you guys. I love the spirit of this place. I love the Wyatt family, even if he don't love me. I love him very, very much. Uh, I said this last night, but he's very well respected on the North American mission team. And so you are blessed with him and Brother White. And I just believe, I honestly believe that the best days are from here to the rapture. And I believe this district is going to grow. I believe the enemy's arms are going to be broken and that, that, that your arms are going to be strengthened. So thank you for letting me be back. It means a whole bunch to me. Bless you. Yeah, pass, pass them up. Let, let's do that for fun, real quick. Let me, let me Where's my pastor's at that sent me the papers? Yeah, we got five minutes. All right, we're, we're, not going, we're not going to uh, highlight any of these. We're just going to read them. Okay, there's any more coming in? Okay, here we go. And I'm not even going to go in any certain order. Uh, good, good. Use my Bible study night to teach discipleship class. Good. Uh, develop a website. Good. Now, all these good things that they've done would probably be good things that we could all do. So if one of these good is not what you've done yet, it'd be a good idea to do it. Greatest thing, block party, back to school block party. Love it. Greatest thing, implement Sunday school for children and adults. Greatest thing, start teaching series for our Bible studies. Love it. Uh, Visit businesses around the church. Love it. Uh, Incorporate people in ministry that are new and growing, but but. Do not totally look like us. you got to do that. Uh, dedicated to early morning prayer consistently. allowing people to go uh, allowing people to go to the person who hurt them before they come to me. That's biblical. That's healthy. And that keeps you out of an awkward spot to have to choose sides. Bad, Oh (laughs) sometimes to overly concern with time, to not preach too long, to not complete a thought on a lesson. Worried about time. Bad, ask a non-developed person to preach. Man, I've done all these. Bad, thinking a person who came in the church was looking for a different church. Not praying for the people God sends to the church. Think about that. That's one of the worst things somebody did. It's not praying for the people God sent to the church. Too straightforward in my communications at times. Did I write that one? (laughs) Ask an inconsistent person to lead a department. Commend some and forget others. That's a big deal. You have to be very careful what you start. It's easy to start stuff. Hey, I tell you what we're going to do? We're going to wish everybody a happy birthday uh, this Sunday, and then next Sunday somebody else's birthday, and you forgot it. Guess what? They're mad. Doing things in my own strength or my old strength, and not in the strength of the Lord. When people ask for money or need their rent paid. You start that, you'll do that for the rest of your life. Well, I guess the reality is this. We've all done some good things. And we've all done some bad things. But I'll end it like this. On your best day, you're not that good. And on your worst day, you're not that bad. So you're somewhere in the middle.